Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. As we always do, we're recording on Friday night. It's December the 9th of 2022. And we're doing things just as we always do. There was no rescheduling. There was no rolling with punches that came across our way. It's just how we always do things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if I start ridiculously coughing or like needing to step away because my fluids need to be replenished, then that's just an elaborate story cooked up by, you know, conspiracy nuts on the internet with too much free time. Okay. Everything's good. Yeah, so um, not for the first time. We did have to uh, kind of push back the podcast a little bit due to uh, illness of one of the hosts. And uh, if you listen carefully, you might be able to tell which <laughs> one was sick. Can you guess? Uh, but here we are now. Yeah, I, I got the big C O V I D. That's the one everyone's super unfun with uh and it's spiking up right now around the holidays because not a lot of people are following uh protocols which in fairness i guess i really didn't either i went to a gathering of like six people so that's on me uh, I'll do it. um but uh i'm fine this is not like a concerning thing it was just like my issue was covid got like the fever got worse as the day went on so like as soon as like four o'clock hit that wednesday i was like i don't think it's happening today let's just try to let's try to yeah, mosey you, this one down the road yeah you gave me like 24 hours notice saying like by the way buddy not sure if i'm gonna be able to do it if i do maybe we'll cut it short and i was like I mean, okay, if you if you really want to do it, that's fine. But <laughs> and then you told me it's like, and then you told me it's like, oh, it's not gonna happen. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I generally have not had that bad of a time with COVID. Like my symptoms have not been that dramatic. It's been a flu for me. You know, I've, I'm vaxxed and boosted and everything like that, so it doesn't hit me as that hard as other people, um, or as other situations might. Uh, but still, like, as I said, like in my situation, my fever would always shoot up towards the end of the day, which is when we'd have to record. So I was just like, yeah, maybe not while my symptoms are the worst would be the best time. And also I had a lot less control over when I had cough and sneeze and things like that earlier in the week, uh, which I still don't have perfect control over. So if you hear my white, uh, my mic volume go wildly into a different direction, do not adjust your volume. It is because I'm no. wildly swinging my mic away from my face <laughs> so that I don't uh, cough directly into it too frequently. Yeah. Or onto the putuku. Yeah. No, my precious son. He's been with me. He's been guarding me, making sure I'm safe. Also, yeah. Professor Peanuts did that the first day. Like, you could tell I was actually, like, really sick. Aww. So, like, he sat in front of me, like, kind of guarding me. And, like, Scotia, uh, who I love, doesn't understand anything, doesn't pick up any signs. Mm -hmm. So she was just like, when's this walk happening? <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> that's not happening. And Professor Peanuts was like... And I, you know, he's a bully, but he was like fighting her away. He's like, no, she needs sleep right now. And I was like, oh, next two days, he was having none of that. He's like, all right, bitch, you've, you've relaxed long enough. Why you don't you, one day. why don't you pay attention to the cat? Why don't I just sit right on your chest and you pay attention to me right now? 
And Scotia, meanwhile, is like, come on, leave yeah. Quinn alone. We've got to go on our four-mile hike together. Scotia every day has just been like, when's that walk happening? <laughs> there's, there's, there's been no deviation from her general schedule. I literally think I could show up and one leg would be hacked off and she'd just be like, so walk at the usual time then, right? <laughs> like with her leash already on, like, let's get going. What's uh, day's wasting? Tapping her wristwatch, which she <laughs> wears for some reason. How'd you get an Apple watch? How did you afford that? <laughs> that's a newer model uh, yeah so guys uh be sure to take precautions so that you don't also have to go through cows oscillating very intensely downward uh and uh yes. it'll be good yeah take care of yourself everybody we do have manga to talk about this week we do so let's 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 see what that's about i guess because uh, uh it's 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 undead unluck first um oh yeah uh, that's that's another preface i should make uh yeah. Do you I, want me to take the lead on these no or? i i could i could definitely talk uh <laughs> i read these chapters originally when they came out some details right. might be a little sketchy in my memory so if i uh pause like i'm just reading the page in front of me that's because i am because uh, i've forgotten mm. a great many of the details so uh we will start then with Undenlock number 138, Incentive. So we open where we left last time, which is Foucault has unearthed Apocalypse, the book that gives all of the missions that sets everything into motion. And she's explaining what Apocalypse is to her new companion of friends, which, uh, as we'll find out in just a moment, is technically the new union is just her and unchange unsleep isn't part of it and nico is not a negator in this reality at the moment uh so you know it's just those two they get up they seat up their round table fuko is number one uh gina is number two apocalypse is like bah it's it's happened i'm tired of waiting now begins open the quests and fuko's just like yeah whatever start it up so he's like, boom, you know, the neutralization of UMA spoil and you get the location of the artifact, you know, the Neo uh, Kinku staff. And if you neutralize UMA stop, you get the lo location of artifact Blade Runner. And, you know, if you capture UMA kindness, you you get the location of the negate or unrepair. All these things that we we recognize. Like, ah, I know those things. Uh and he's just like, oh, all members are allowed to enter. The penalty of failing is the addition of UMA Ghost. Now, will you try? Will you run? It's one or the other unluck. Pass. Huh? And like, done change. Or uh, Chica's just like, you could just pass? She's like, yeah, I saw them doing it in the artifacts memories. I could do that, right? He's like, yeah, I mean, but you'll get the penalty, right? And you'll like, get the penalty. <laughs> Ooh. And it's just like, yeah, whatever. He's like, yeah, the, you know, the, this is my power. And she's like, that's a thing and all, but does be Ghost Bean Hound really, like, inconvenience us? Uh, she says it a lot more confident than that. But she explains, like, yeah, also, there's, uh, she's like, hey, start up the next one. He's like, you fool, did you think that the world would pass without some risks? This world will lose one year's time, and suddenly it's January 1st, 1974, and they're like, yeah, as of now, all the outside, all, all time outside of the round table room has been moved forward one year. Keep this up and you'll be on the fast track to Ragnarok. So Foucault is just like, yeah, I knew about that risk. I'm going to be spinning about 20 more times to just keep them coming. 
Yeah, one of these one of these will be a nat 20. One yeah, of them will be. Basically. <laughs> uh um Nico, sorry, I blinked on his name. It's just like, wait, what do you mean about 20 years? What about the guys on the outside? And Fuko's just like, yeah, I already talked about that. They're cool with it. <laughs> They're all these characters. Those guys have no character defining traits, no families, nothing like that. Doesn't really matter to them. They're all aces for it. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, we just see Nico is not super excited, but Gina's like, cool. I get to be young and beautiful in the future. This is great. And Achika is just like, oh, wow, I'll get to live to see the future of science. This is wonderful. So it's like three to one. And immediately, you know, uh, we see Apocalypse start shooting out new quests. And he's like, here's what's going on. UMA Instact and all these sorts of things. And he's like, the reward is a little artifact that you want called Life is Strange. It's like, ooh, what's that? Because I don't think that one's familiar to us. And Foucault just says, pass, pass, pass. And she just starts thinking how the biggest roadblock in this loop is the time gap between Mrs. Gina and Mr. Niku's group showing up in the 70s. And then Mr. Rip and Mr. Billy's group showing up in the 2000s. But if we keep on the straight and narrow doing quests one by one, we're bound to lose somebody before we can meet up with Mr. Billy and the others. The next closest tragedy is 28 years away if we have 28 tries the more we spend the better off we are uh ninja saying life is strange is the item that changed her page i will take your word on that um so these penalties for passing aren't drawbacks they're ways to avoid unnecessary quests basically uh so immediately it's just like pass 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 all these new rules are being added to the universe <coughs> Uh, and, uh, there are a bunch of different things that, uh, we recognize, of course, there is, you know, as was the threat, uh, insect gets added. Uh, we also see like thirst get added. Uh, but despite this, you know, of course it makes sense that a lot of these are things that Foucault already had in her world. So to her having them added, isn't actually a penalty. Yeah. Uh, and also they're helping her to achieve her side goal of getting closer and closer to the year where, the groups can quote unquote reunite. Yeah. She's passing on everything, but what finally stops her for a moment is one of the crest's rewards is the location of the legator undead. And Fuko looks at, and she's just like, not yet. Right. Andy, it's not time to see you yet. And she passes. And apocalypse is like the penalty, the, <laughs> the addition of UMA shark, <laughs> which is like, that's the coolest UMA in the world. <laughs> Just a bunch of sharks showing up now. Um, mm. And a total of 26 years have been skipped. So now the new quests have been opened. Neutralization of UMA Autumn. And the reward for that is the addition of the third seat. And then the capture of Negator Unavoidable, the location of the artifact Remember. And Foucault's eyes like like shoot up like that's the moment and she's like there it is i accept the quest so nick we're finally getting out of void everyone's favorite yeah that was the guy from the beginning of the series right yeah the guy who died in like in the right. chapter and a half right uh what I like about this chapter, besides just the concept of it, is just seeing the interplay between Apocalypse and Foucault. 
or Fuko's in total control and Apocalypse keeps on being like, Oh! How will you cope with this deadly situation? The rewards are great, but the risks are also great. Hey, pass. Hey. What? We're fine! How about this thing? And he just, you know, Fine! Time, now you've got laser sharks! Are you happy laser sharks are in the world? And Fuko's like, we already had laser sharks. Keep going. I had laser sharks. <laughs> You know, he's just trying to get his chance to gloat over them. Uh, but, you know, if if the team doesn't care about failure uh, in the cases that, you know, Apocalypse defines it, then he doesn't have any way of getting any pleasure from this. And so to get him get that constantly denied him is really funny because he's already got this ridiculous face. And to see the giant there's a lot of emotions that get broadcast on this fucking book. Uh, over the course of this single chapter so it's i mean like you could get a good feeling of like how things were going even without all of the dialogue and explanation uh of what is going on technically between them just by having fuko looking confident and apocalypse looking gloaty and then freaking out she has a real shitting grin on a uh, page 14 or 15 i guess the two page spread where we see all everything and she really has this like big grimace of like I have five spins left. <laughs> yeah. So, ah, uh, there we go. Awesome, Nick. Uh, in this universe, this hypothetical universe where uh, crabs have not always existed, what do you think we are actually all evolving to in that universe? Is there a thing that we're all evolving into crabs? It's 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 not not a thing. There is a thing in science where like a lot of creatures are kind of evolving into crabs, and this is curious hmm. there's like a term for it everything evolving into crabs i was not aware of this uh carcinization oh okay so like developing like plates and exoskeletons yeah everything and everything's okay. slowly becoming a crab everything is crabs got it um this is a great chapter fuko looks awesome in it i mean yeah. i don't know i guess you could cut that sentence and just replay it for the past 15 issues of he's been pretty damn life. great since the time skip so yeah speaking of time skip that's actually one of the other things that i find charming about this is that this is also a time skip but we're actually experiencing it the exact way that the characters are uh, as opposed to, you know, cutting away and then coming back later down the timelines. Like, no, no, everyone's traveling quickly forward in time. Uh, and I haven't never seen it done in quite this way before. Yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> penguins. Let's talk about the manga that inspired... Uh, an anime that a couple people are talking about lately um chainsaw man Brr chapter 113 i want to see penguins <laughs> so uh, right away when i when i read this chapter title i knew that something was going to silly was going to happen but i was not prepared for everything about how this goes down uh the chapter opens with asa getting ready for her date with denji it's a date but it's so that she can kill him and turn him into a weapon to use against chainsaw man because because dramatic irony yes so so asa uh 
as she's getting ready, she has a little hairpin in her hair, but she like immediately rejects it because this was apparently actually Yoru's idea. And Yoru is getting on her case for always looking so plain, not having any flair or anything like that. So Yoru questions if Asa is actually even capable of properly seducing Denji so that she can turn him into a weapon. And Asa says, nah, it'll be easy. Boys will fall for anyone who can show them a fraction of a good time. Uh, and Yoru doesn't really get it. And Asa says, ah, yeah, yeah, you don't get it because you're, you're a devil. And besides, I'm pretty darn cute. He'll be head over heels once we hang out for a bit. And for the first few pages of this chapter, it's like, huh, this is a side of Asa I've, I've ne- we haven't really gotten to see before. This, like, very cool, confident. Confident. Yeah. In uh, control. Something she has in, not really been throughout this story. Yeah, good, good self-esteem on her. He's like, yeah, I look good, and I'm going to make this guy fall in love with me so I can kill him. Uh, so how is she going to do that? Well, they go to the aquarium, which is pretty popular first date move and my goodness asa the guy give her this she knows her stuff sea anemones are relatives of the jellyfish they have these tiny hairs growing on them that they use to feed by stunning fish shrimp zooplankton and so on but they can survive for years without food they're like jellyfish in that way there are even sea anemones that have lived longer than 70 years with the proper care they are found all throughout the world's oceans, and they can slowly move, too. There are also fish that live inside them called anemone fish. The sea anemones protect them from predators and share their food scraps. Uh, can we get to that? No talking during the lecture, Denji! No talking! Denji... It's great. <laughs> ...wants to go see the penguins. And says this to Asa. And Asa says, No. We're supposed to look at this for 10 more minutes. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she says, I came up with the perfect plan for enjoying the aquarium. And we aren't deviating from the plan. And Denji, for the first time through this, is like, okay. Uh, So Asa goes on. And she's got another. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you you literally flip one set of pages to the next one. It's exact same it's conversation, exact same. but this time about starfish. Which starfish, this time. great, great ones to to really admire. Uh, I I know some people personally who are into marine biology. I may have to quiz them about how accurate all of her her aquarium facts are because there is a lot of detail in this. I think I'm going to quiz my marine biologist friend on just like, would you spend 30 minutes looking at the starfish? It's like, like well, would that you be know, your specific plan? <laughs> would I? Well, I'm studying it, maybe. Yeah. So then she's again like. Enough about the starfish. I want to see the penguins. And Asa says, no, the plan is to look at starfish for 30 more minutes. I love, because, like, the takeaway here is that, like, Asa's kind of dumb when it comes to, like, dates, too. And Asa, I, oh, my God. I really do enjoy that at some point, like, because we find out in a second that, like, she went to a library to research all this information and everything yeah. like that, that she was like, hmm. Yeah. 30 minutes would be the optimum amount of time to discuss Starfish 4. 
for trying to seduce a guy. Yeah. Too. Uh, and yeah, she she thinks to herself, oh, he, he's got to be falling for me any second now. Even the aquarium employees couldn't give explanations this interesting. <laughs> Which, again, it's very good, healthy self-esteem and confidence. But maybe she doesn't understand what's going on here. Quite well, as well as she thinks she does. It's like she wasn't wrong at the start. She's like, guys are really easy. Like, yes. They'll fall for anybody who shows them a good time. And then she's just like, hey, can we see some penguins? And she's like, no, I no. came into this with a plan and we're not deviating. It's like, if you just showed him the penguins, just this has been the done. Penguins. Hang out with him while he goes to look at the penguins and he will be fawning over yeah, you because you're a cute girl who went to go see penguins with him. But he's like, can we just ignore the plan and go see the penguins? And she says, would you just shut up? We'll have fun if we stick to my plan. You don't need to think about this. Shut up. And that really does it for Denji. Because not in a good way. <laughs> but that's the last straw for him because he's like, I've decided to think about stuff in my own way. You know, it it clearly like despite the fact that he seemed to not be showing a lot of the maturity that he gained after all the experiences in the first part of the series, the fact that he is holding on to acting for himself and his independence is definitely has stuck with him. Uh, and so as soon as this girl tries to literally take control of everything that they're doing and tell him to not think about stuff, that's what pushes him away. So that's good stuff. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I'm going to go look at those penguins with or without you because I've never seen penguins before. So he goes up to go yeah, look at the good, penguins. Good for you, Denji. Go see those yeah. penguins. So Asuka's left on her own, except, of course, she's never on her really on her own because Yoru's with her. And Yoru says, like, shouldn't she go after him? And Asuka says, why? He's the one who's wrong. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, he and everybody in his explanations. I didn't do anything wrong. And Yoru pauses for a beat and then says, are you a total bore? Is that what's going on? You're like really boring. He was so bored by your lectures and I was bored, too. And Asa gets so upset about this. She's biting her lip and then she turns on Yoru and is like, no, you and the phony chainsaw guy are the bores. I studied up on ocean facts at the library. <laughs> Would a boring person do that? <laughs> that really is her statement. She's like, Would a nerd listen to read books all day and then regurgitate that knowledge onto others who don't want it? I don't think so devil <laughs> and the the woman with the 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 chainsaw chain earrings appears at this moment and she says you're right asa you weren't wrong uh and asa of course is shocked to see her there and uh the girl says, yeah, Denji doesn't know the first thing about what's right or wrong. You, you're totally right about that. But you're also wrong about one thing. You can't turn Denji into a weapon, can you? You always have to do the right thing. So you can't turn a person into a weapon. And of course, Asa is shocked because she knows about her power. And the girl says, oh, didn't I mention? I'm War Devil's big sister, Famine Devil. <gasps> 
Nick, that's just like the seven deadly sins. Well, it's about the four nights of the apocalypse. Oh, fuck it, then. I only have have room in my mind for one religious group. You're like, well, seven deadly sins weren't really a group. It was just like a collection made into various groups via anime, but whatever. Yeah. Uh... Also, these were like things that were mentioned by Makima too. Uh, yeah. In in the first part, she specifically mentioned uh, famine and and war together. Um, so, uh, famine says like, yeah, I'm I'm War Devil's big sister, famine devil. You can call me Fammy, which is <laughs> bizarrely cute. They're like, oh, little Fammy. Yeah. Oh, look, she's got like uh, she's got those little beady marks. It's like an adorable little trademark thing. I wonder what she yeah. does. Yeah. So Yorus try- starts to warn Asa not to listen to her, but Famine snaps her fingers, and she and Yorus suddenly vanish, uh, leaving Asa by herself in the aquarium with Fami's hat, which is an odd detail. Like the the hat is still there on the ground. But uh, this voice now rings out from all around us that says, yeah, I took Yoru outside. It's just temporary. Any human should be capable of abandoning their morality when they're starving. So I'll create the right stage for you. You aren't leaving this aquarium until you can turn Denji into a weapon. See you soon. Which means one of two things. Either... Fami doesn't realize who Denji is, which would make sense because Yoru and Asa haven't. Uh, or she does, and she's not telling them to see what happens between the two of them. I think she does know, because she she alluded before to having some idea of Denji's character. Denji doesn't mm-hmm. know what right and wrong is. Like It sounds like something you would say about somebody you know. I think she wants to use War's power to turn Denji into a weapon. And she needs uh, Asa to not know that Denji is Chainsaw Man for that to happen. Hmm. Denji comes back from where he went down the hallway and he just kind of calmly says, hey, we've got an emergency. This isn't a huge aquarium, right? Uh, Because no matter how far I walk down the hall, I uh, could get out. And so he just kind of turns behind him and says, yeah, that pain in the butt's back from hell. And he stares down a long hallway. That is where the chapter ends. So one thing that got... Oops, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I say one thing that did get pointed out, and you mentioned it was like that the hat dropped, and you could see it on the ground beside them. If you look down the hallway, you can see like a tiny black spot on the like on the hallway as well. Oh, so and I I wonder if that's a clue that this is something that loops or something like that. And we're gonna we're gonna see it. Um, if that's like their JoJo way of having to try to start figuring things out, what's going on here mechanically or, or how to solve it? Oh, <laughs> um, I, I do. I wonder if it has to do with the the Eternity Devil, um, which trapped Denji's group in the hotel early on in Chainsaw Man. Uh, cause it's, if he's saying like, oh, it's back from hell, maybe he's, he's knows or thinks that that's the same thing that they're, they're dealing with. It very well might be as well. Um, I really, really enjoy the characterization of famine of like, 
I want you to be so hungry, you will you'll be starving so much. You're going to do this thing that I need from you. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I just really like that way of executing the executing the famine, you know, thing now or whatever. So it's right. kind of interesting. And then just bringing up a point, the bat devil and now eternity. So maybe the parts are looping. Mm. Maybe the tomato devil will come back next. Maybe. <laughs> That'd be the next big bad, the tomato arc. <laughs> tomato devil arc. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I do like the interplay between Denji and Asa. Honestly, this chapter kind of made me think, like, is, is Asa, like, on the on the spectrum? If, like, she's, like, got just this, like, she doesn't understand that people don't like these things. Uh, but, I mean, the more we learn about Asa, the more I like her and the more interesting I find her just in general. <laughs> uh, she's just, you know, very likable nerd. <laughs> I, I I do enjoy that she she was really confident. She's like, I know how to make a killer I, date. I know how to wrap boys up around my little finger. And then she really was like, and like hard cut to like, meanwhile at the library, and it's her just reading starfish facts. Like this poor sucker is just going to melt apart in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move over to Kaiju number eight. Chapter 76, uh, Mina blew up a super giant class kaiju with a giant ass railgun. Uh, she shoots another one and kills it, uh, which apparently is like actually exhausting the cannon. They need to refuel it. Uh, but hey, she destroyed all the huge ass giant kaijus. Uh, so everyone is moving and celebrating. Kafka shouts out like, yeah, that's the vice captain of the, of the Kafka Corps. And his commanding officer is like, the hell are you talking about Kafka cores? Oh, 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 I shouted that over the radio by accident. Whoops. So. Aww. Uh, and things are getting cleared out. Uh, things are going well. But both Narumi and Kikoru realize, okay, this is this is too easy. There, There is no way that a Kaiju number nine generated cataclysm would be ended and handled so easily. And uh, Narumi's vice captain also realizes, yeah, and I mean, if, if these kaiju are supposedly targeting humanity's essential facilities, then they don't seem to be actually trying to destroy anything. So they must be after something else. And uh, kaiju number nine, meanwhile, is off on the top of some building somewhere watching over everything. And he's playing with a chess piece and it says, ah, nearly all the pieces are on the board. Oh, because I'm the chess master. I I didn't realize it was a chess piece. I thought he had a little bell he was ringing like ding a ling a ling a ling. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, don't you have a better way to communicate with your kaiju than a little Jeeves? (laughs) (laughs) Little kaiju butler. Just like, yes. It's like an organic bow tie on it. (laughs) Tell the monsters I'm ready for them. Uh, Water suddenly starts to surge up from the ground near some of the troops. uh, And there's a Daikaiju reading in Sumida Ward as this um, xenomorph-ish looking kaiju emerges near where Narumi is. And all of the analysts start to freak out because its estimated fortitude is nine, which is 
on par with kaiju number 10s whoa uh and uh narumi is like ah so they're after me huh and kikoru gets on the um with him is like no moron there's one here too and uh, it's the humanoid female kaiju that has appeared near her uh there's this big dinosaur slash devil looking one that has appeared near hoshina and all of these things that are appearing have fortitude over nine they're all kaiju class so in a row you know we had number 10 show up on its own after number nine showed up but now there's number 11 number 12 number 13 number 14 which is the weird slate thing with faces i'm very worried about that one (laughs) that's the one i'd be like yo i would have much rather just fighting the horn dude fucking shovel knight over there Mm -hmm. that feels like i don't know what this motherfucker does but in a shin megami tensei game this is the motherfucker who wipes my whole fucking team because he just has a bunch of stupid debuff reflex that just kills everybody i hate this asshole he needs to die now and uh, the last one that we uh, end the chapter on is Kaiju number 15, which is the humanoid female looking Kaiju, which is confronting Kikoru. And when she initially appears in front of her, she looks kind of like just a black reflection of her. Uh, she's got the same hair, but it's all black. But then she distorts into having like the hole in her face, the weird brain matter hair. Uh, and she just says, I found you. And uh, we get our title for episode eight of the series, The Second Wave. Yeah, this one <clears throat> seems to have some particular uh, grudge or purpose with Kikoru. We saw a couple of months ago, I feel like now, her in the black Kikoru, black hair Kikoru disguise, whatever you'd want to call it. And like, I think it was like a coffee shop or something like that, killing people. So she's been built with some purpose, it looks like, to just fuck with Kikoru. Um, and this is like a cool thing where it's like, holy shit, like before it was a big deal. One showed up. Now five just showed up. But as the stakes have kind of increased, like it makes sense. Um, and it looks like we have some like setup fights, basically. Uh, curiously, I have to assume Kaiju number 13, which is just really, really tall, is probably something meant for Ashino to fight because they just established her as being like, she handles right. the really big ones. I don't know what poor motherfucker is dealing with 14. If it's fucking uh, Reno, I feel bad for you, my friend. <laughs> but good luck, bud. Just watch out for it, status effects. He's going to stone your team <laughs> and you don't have, you're all like, I didn't carry any fucking soft needles. God damn it. It, uh, I mean, between Kiko, uh, Kaiju number 15 squaring off with Kikoru and the fact that Kaiju number 12 resembles Kaiju number 10, it <laughs> seems like these might be like handpicked foes for them yeah. in some way. Exactly. Like they're created with a particular purpose by number nine. Yeah. But uh, the, we should uh, find out shortly. The cross shaped eyes for Kaiju number 12 definitely feels intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good chapter. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero, chapter yeah. 219, The Final World. And yeah. uh, Nick, it's all over. This is the final chapter of Eden Zero. It all comes to an Oh, my here. God. No. Can you imagine if it were? <laughs> That'd be crazy. No, instead, this is, uh, we open up with everybody basically being like, oh, Rebecca and her family are very cute now. Like, the parents are trying to be very doting on her and spend time with her. And there's just dumb jokes that go along with it. It's not that important. Um, Rebecca's like, hey, you know, everyone on our crew here lost her parents. So, like, maybe you could 
stop being so overt with all of this. And all the other characters like, nah, this doesn't bother me at all. In fact, it's really nice to see like a family, like parents and their kids interacting. So, yeah, that's that's nice. Um, she asked which one of them is her boyfriend. And she's like, what? Uh, what? But eventually Hermit's just like, so what are you guys going to do now? Are you going like, to stay on the trip or what? <laughs> Hermit's like, I've had enough of this. You guys have been goofing off saying nothing for four pages. Let's get to the plot. So you guys just fucking dicking around or what's going on? Uh, Rachel is like, no, I'm going to go back home for now. And Connor's like, oh, but like, we just started. We just got to hang out together again. Entire plot in fast forward. <laughs> I would say like, oh man, but after all that, like she, we we just got her here and now she's leaving. It's like, no, we had no build up to her getting here to begin with because she was introduced so suddenly in this previous arc. She woke and up then, two chapters ago. Two chapters ago, and spoke last chapter, I believe. Oh God, like this feels like it's something that should have played out over the course of like a year and it's played out over the course of about two months yeah. <laughs> from from first appearance while asleep to waking up and saying bye bye so uh but they're like hey yeah like we'll, we'll be able to <clears throat> so i actually had to read this because i'm trying to remember how they even get to this point uh, they're like, hey, yeah, we go to your home on Planet Millets, but they're like, hey, you said Ziggy destroyed that place. She's like, well, there are some survivors, and they're worried about me. And look, I said for now, remember, we could see each other again anytime once all the dust is settled. Plus, our reunion might be even more magical in the other world. And Becca's like, what do you mean the other world? And she's like, yeah, that's right. All of you are about to go to a different world. And, like, everyone's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what does this mean? <laughs> and she's like, well, I mean, that's our only hope now. I know this might come as a bit of a shock, but Mother is dying. Uh, what, Nick? I heard you say? This huh? stunned that's... you. Sorry, I was, I was falling asleep while keeping my eyes open. How dare you? Mother is dying. Everyone's shocked. Her life force is running out. And when she dies... All life disappears. Everything in the cosmos, except for robots, poof, gone. And not too far in the future, it'll be lights out for this world. And the whole world is ending. And it's like, wait, wait like, what do you know about that? It's like, well, our church, we're in sort like in, in faith of her, basically. So we, we put all of our faith in Mother, and, and we kind of know about this. And why, well, of course, like, yeah, religious religions kind of try to pull the show all the time like hey the world is ending like come and join us and she's just like look i'm not trying to like get you to sign up for anything i'm just telling you like shit's about to end in this universe right now look uh, i i don't i don't even know if the uh raffle ticket uh rewards program exists anymore so why would i even bother to recruit more people if i didn't know that my punch card was going to get filled out exactly. I mean, look i would like to have that duffel bag yes <laughs> but until i get a guarantee then i look i'd hate to sign up like you know an entire crew of people and it only gets me like uh, a, a charm for my beanie like uh that, that that's just not going to be worth it i need to make sure that everything goes according to plan and I get enough to get my Nintendo 64 
What do you mean that's an outdated thing? What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? How long have I? How long have I been? Have I been asleep? <laughs> what do you mean there are N64s and bidets now? That's how <laughs> primitive and low tech the technology is. What do you mean I can play Donkey Kong on my on my toaster? Um, she explained like, look, every world I've been in, mother is dying, except for one, the world of possibilities, universe zero. And Labilia is like, wait, what are you talking about? And Herman explains, like, well, Universe Zero, according to Ziggy, is the only one where Mother survives. So to put it another way, Mother dies in every other single universe. So it's all parallel worlds, basically. The results of a single choice fan out in, you know, countless directions. And what- it's, so, it's so weird that we've been dealing with parallel universes so much, like every single time that Rebecca's ability gets explained, and now we have to explain it again in this little aside. So yeah. maybe maybe it hasn't been getting explained very well if you have to do it again, is, is all I'm saying. Yeah, there's, there's a longer explanation of like, hey, it's all about branching paths, we're creating these parallel universes, and it isn't possible to observe the differences in these universes unless you have the power to travel through time, like Rebecca and I. And they're like... So you're telling me to go to Universe Zero? She's like, no, I'm telling you all to go to Universe Zero. And they're like, well, how do we do that? They're like, this ship. That's the whole point of what this ship is for. And when you do, come see me when you get to Universe Zero, and I can show you the way to Mother. So she just finishes like, you must find Mother. You're the key to save her. But there's one thing you never forget. Universe Zero is the world of possibilities. Once you become observers of it, it has the potential to become whatever world each of you wants it to be. But once you get there, there's no turning back. You and I will both lose our powers to travel through time. And of course, so will the Eden Zero. Universe Zero is the final world. That's right. So uh, it's, there's no extra lives once you get to Universe Zero. There's uh, there's no safe points. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll yeah. be things will things will have real consequences when we get to Universe. Yeah, there's going to be a five and a half hour long fucking sequence of fights. I'm just thinking about the end of Kingdom Hearts three, where there's like a save point and then like seven straight hours of video game content you had to kind of sit through. Where it's just like, what's happening? Why am I looking for pieces of myself in a fucking sky maze? <laughs> I thought I was here to beat up Xehanort. Where's Woody? Yeah. Oh, he'd have something great to say here. You fucking friendless loser. <laughs> Woody always knew what, just what to say to get me through a situation. Uh, that was also a series. That was also a series that used parallel universes, though, to avoid tragedies. Because as we know, in the original uh, universe of Final Fantasy uh, or Kingdom Hearts 3, spoiler for somebody who hasn't played that, uh, Donald, of course, sacrifices his life casting the greatest magic spell known to the fucking final fantasy canon is it a heal no it's zeta flare <laughs> and he <laughs> fucking and he fucking dies casting it that means canonically donald duck is one of the strongest mages in all of final fantasy uh, of course yeah fuck yeah <laughs> no, it's never a heal but it's never a heal from donald <laughs> Uh, all right, yeah. Um, stuff is happening at Eden Zero. I guess I it's, feel like I almost like disassociated from this chapter completely when I read it. There was, 
this explanation of alternate universes, like, but this is the important alternate universe, and I just, I just completely have detached myself from having any cares about actual long-term plots and uh, anything that this would imply. So, well, like, so here's the thing: is like, on one hand, and people brought this up now a lot in our Discord, they're like, yeah, it's kind of just like the series is doing Undead Unlock, but like not with any of the cool stuff like where there was the same buildup of like we have to basically reset everything to an optimum universe and like that was such a big deal with undead luck with chapters upon chapters built upon like the sacrifices mm-hmm. required to get there right whereas here it kind of feels like we're just gonna i don't know we might get there next chapter for all i know like and i've kind of in the back of my head always known that somewhere along these lines we were going to get some kind of like perfect universe because that hero wants to show all of his characters being happy even though this is the dark story i feel like there is a zero-sum chance that when we get to this new universe we're going to see lc and justice are just gonna be just banging they're just gonna be like cute kids or teenagers whatever the fuck they were Valkyrie is going to be there with for her more. Uh, uh, yes, all these all these characters will be alive again. All the moms whose designs we just saw will get a chance to see them, like meet up with their kids or whatever. Yeah. J- Johnny was was that his name or James James whichever. Oh yeah, Bulka, Bulka guy. He he'll be like oh he'll be J- like Jesse. Oh, well, we're best friends, and I'll never lie to you or betray you. <laughs> Every time one of those moments happens, it's just going to remind me of how fucking funny and stupid it was when they killed those characters off at the main... Like, I know there's going to be a scene where we're going to meet that dude who's the fu- Creed or whatever the fuck his name was, who was like, I'm actually the the Prince uh, Scion of this... Yeah, the kingdom that you were from, Hamor or whatever, and then he died like a chapter later. He's right, gonna right. show up, and like Hamor is gonna get the chance to actually start a relationship with him, or or, right. or or see it to some extent. And every time I see him, I'm gonna just think how fucking funny it was when he died a chapter after being like, "I'm an important deal." Boom! Like no. And then, of course, there will be Shura and Ijuna there, and Ijuna will be like, oh, we met when he yeah. stuffed a bomb up my rectum. <laughs> the same storyline <laughs> happens there, but this time it was consensual. They met at, like, a FetLife party, and it was just like, what are you into? Like, shoving bombs up people's butts? She's like, ooh. Oh, what else, what else are you into? Oh, you know, mentally breaking people and <laughs> enslaving them against their will? Oh, I'm into that, too. <laughs> She's like, we have some things to talk about. Mm. Oh, I feel that red string of fate. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it is. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> now that you've mentioned all that, like, the thought hadn't actually occurred to me that all that was going to happen. And now I feel like I'll almost be disappointed if it doesn't happen. I <laughs> felt... just get the lamest possible conclusion. I always this. thought it was going to be, like, some universe they'd see at the end that they wouldn't actually, like... And here, like, because of this, they managed to create a universe where all of these good things happened or something like that. And we got to see, like, you know, panels of these things happening. But now I feel like if they're like, we're just going to go to Universe Zero, it's going to be like, oh, we'll get to experience everything there or something like that. I don't know. Mm. <sighs> all right. Uh, we have to move forward, I guess. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's talk about Akane Banashi. Chapter 41, Shiraku, the Unteaching. Featuring a cover page of Akane hanging out in a laundromat. Uh, yeah. Because. 
<laughs> well, Nick, sometimes you, you you don't need to get your skills up anymore, and you got a bunch of dirty items from the dungeon runs, and you're like, I, just, I don't know, man. I'm not trying to min-max this game. Fuck it. Just spend the evening in the fucking laundromat or whatever, and you get a bunch of junk you don't even use anyway. Yeah, yeah. This is a Persona 5 joke that I'm not even sure is entirely accurate. I think you could use the laundromat in that game. Yeah, I, I just acted like I knew what you were talking about. There you go. So, yeah. uh, I just want to note it has the same vibes as uh, that. So, Okay. Yeah. Uh, we get a bit of backstory or historical backstory about Shiraku Ransaika, who was a Rakugo master in the mid 20th century, who, you know, had... All of the he's, he was he was renowned around uh, the entire Rakugo scene uh, because of his ability to depict female characters, uh, and he had he was incredible at performing uh, stories set in brothels and pleasure halls, kura banashi. But he was also known as Shiraku the Unteaching because anyone who came to him uh, wanting to learn how to tell stories the way that he did, he would flatly reject. Uh, because at the time, women, uh, you know, were not allowed to do Rakugo. Young men, he felt, could not grasp the essence of his work, and experienced Rakugoka would try and add their own flavor. So it was a real catch-22 of like, well, you're too young to understand this, and you're too old to be able to be fully influenced in order to understand this, and you're a woman, so you're you're not you're you're a no-go from from day one. So, uh. And so he, Shiraku was just like, yeah, my art will die with me. And I guess that's just going to happen. Until he met Urara. And after they met, Shiraku convinced her to become a Rakugoka. And he said, once said of the only apprentice he ever took in his entire life, within her, I saw the true essence of my art. And in the present, Urara is performing and, you know, she evokes the scene of the brothel hall around her as she's performing the story. Akane is getting sucked into it along with the rest of the audience. But she also has noticed something else. And Master Hasho says, ah, you've, you've noticed something's off. Although Kuru Banashi are set in brothels, the main character is always a man. And many of these stories poke fun at a man's failures and foibles. But in Master Urara's Kurura Banashi. And 98% Urara... of them just end with a punchline about tiny penises. <laughs> and people are just people just people love them. They, they, they keep eating them up. They can't have enough of them. <laughs> it's just like a, a, a chant in the crowd breaks out. Tiny dick! <laughs> tiny dick! <laughs> They're like, this is the sixth time you've chanted this tonight. Let her finish her story. <laughs> Oh, but we're getting to the good part. <laughs> so Arara is performing her story, and she is telling it from the perspective of uh, the man who is taken in by this Oiran. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, she was telling me your story. And now three years later, I pay a visit to this Oiran. And the Oiran says to me, you just look just like him. You're the spitting image. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then what? And then what? And like, she's playing like guys being riled up over these this idiotic guy getting taken for a ride by this by this crafty woman essentially uh. uh but as she is telling the story there are 
people in the crowd who are having that same rowdy reaction as the people within the story. And now it kind of realizes like, oh, it's like the line between reality and the story is getting blurred. And as she after she notices that, like, by the way, th- this is shown as with like a cut between different art styles as well. Like there's different line work uh, and everything between what is representing reality and what is happening in the story. Uh, and when it gets to a point where they're kind of blending together, they're there. You get both of them within the same panel. So again, kind of Padashi with cool art driven storytelling. So. Phenomenal. Yeah. Her show says that a poorly told Kuro of Anashi can be unbearable. Uh, it only truly blossoms when the audience is made to fully understand how the brothels of the time worked. Master Shiraku stressed the importance of dialogue and the art of conversation when telling Kuro Banashi. And it turned out that the conversationalist who truly made him sit up and listen was a beautiful woman. He wanted to see her perform his Rakugo so much that he was willing to break one of his deepest held beliefs that a woman cannot perform Rakugo. Have and you ever this, had that moment when, like, you're down bad so much that you're like, fine, I'll stop being misogynistic for a little <laughs> bit. Like, goddamn, you can have some rights. Fuck. Oh, God, I've, I'm so glad that I that I that none of my like, because like, look, I'm a different person than I was when I was 20. I'm a different person than I was when I was 10. I, I've got different beliefs from over that time. But I'm glad that it never had a moment where I was like, oh, I guess that this person of a different race is a good person. I guess I'll stop hating them. (laughs) I'm glad that my thoughts on things evolved more naturally over time. (laughs) You never had to make that thing. You're like, well, I guess if I like The Rock, I can't hate all people of color. Oh, (laughs) sigh. Like, that's not how. That's not what you're supposed to be thinking, six-year-old Nick. (laughs) <laughs> you're like i didn't even watch wrestling back then yeah, yeah. what was i even thinking <laughs> oh, i was just really happy to see that guy who showed up in that one episode of star trek voyager I guess. oh does he i'm looking forward to he that does. hell yeah he does the he does the rock bottom and i love it <laughs> the, there's there's a piece of culture missing from the fact when the rock first started getting into hollywood it must have been either in his contract or he did not have the sway to tell director no Anytime he was in the movie, he would do a rock bottom. I think he didn't do one in the Scorpion King because he or the 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 first Mummy or whatever he was in because he was only technically in it for like arms. Yeah, it was a giant scorpion monster. It's hard to really do it. But like every other piece of shit he was in, he fucking rock bottomed people left and right. He'd do like a, a scene where he'd be like, "Hell, we have to get going," and then he would do the people's eyebrow, and then they'd get going. <laughs> and they'd be like, "Oh, boom." I'm going to have to go back and watch that awful CGI scorpion scene from The Mummy Returns and see if there is any moment that can be construed as a rock bottom. Like, if he ever, if he ever like, slams either Brendan Fraser or... I forget the name of the actor who played Inputep. If he ever slams either of them, though, then it's like, okay, they actually did yeah, a rock it counts. anyway. <laughs> or, like, he'll, like, awkwardly, like, turn them around and, and reverse headlock them. It's like, oh, he's doing a scorpion death drop as an homage to the others. <laughs> Yeah, to the real Scorpion King. I just, I, I feel like movies today 
all of them should have the rock rock bottoming somebody <laughs> what like black adam he could do so many more powerful things but he still stops to be like boom and then he stops he does the pose like the other person so dazed and just, oh, as he like taunts to the crowd oh, oh. <laughs> doesn't even use his superpowers to do it just fucking rock bottoms fucking hawk man and, just, yeah, yeah. and then then people's elbows <laughs> He uses his super lightning powers to rebound off of the one wall, then rebound off the other wall. Dead stop in front of them and then drop. So he's got no momentum, momentum behind it at all. There's got to be some poor motherfucking director who's just like, hey, Rock. Dwayne, sorry. What if we just add a little bit of rock, <laughs> rock bottom to this one? He's like, fuck you. I'm not doing that shit for free no more. Yeah, like... That is a very odd trend with wrestlers breaking into Hollywood in some form or another. I think that the that in Blade Trinity Triple H does a spine buster. Like they couldn't yeah. they couldn't have him do a pedigree. That's too much. But there is a cheesy, schlocky vampire B movie that Christian was in where he does the kill switch. <laughs> the most impractical maneuver in all of wrestling. Like he somehow is like, all right, let's uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to find that clip afterwards. That's, that's, it's too much. You couldn't think of a more awful to try to execute in real life move, man. I don't. I didn't see the Sharknado that had Kurt Angle in it, but if he doesn't ankle lock one shark in that movie, I would be so pissed. Oh God! I'm sorry, I distracted us. What happened? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Oh, so anyway, our show's gotten through with introducing, you know, like, oh, this is, you know, what Urara's skill is. It's her sensuality. When a woman Rakugoka plays up a sensual character, it tends to be distracting to the audience. But rather than downplaying that, Urara just plunges her listeners deeper into the world of the brothel and wields it like a weapon. And... Then things get crazy because the audience is portrayed as like being hypnotized zombies as Hasho goes on about how they're enthralled and bewitched. And then they all turn into skeletons that turn into a mountain of corpses behind her. <laughs> because her title is she's the courtesan from hell. So It's a pretty metal title. It's, you know, if you're going to have a title, the courtesan from hell and you stand atop a tile of, or atop a pile of corpses is like kind of the most metal way to like really get going. Like just to really nail it in there. She is super bewitching. So yeah, yeah that's, they're, that's they're, the chapter. Everybody's like, I love this chick. She's so awesome. I'll gladly be a skeleton atop her hell pile for her. And uh, you know what? I can I can understand it. Uh, yep. I want to see. Like, I'm trying to think who's a performer who could hook me that much in reality. And the only person I can think of would be like Carrot Top. Because <laughs> he's so fucking funny. Like he came out once and he's like, here's a pair of panties. These are Paris Hilton's panties. And it's just a pair of panties that he caught glued a guest book onto. And you're like, this man gets it. He gets funny. And then he just got buff for some reason. He got really, really buff. And it made it so much funnier. It made no sense why he got that ripped. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
I have no way of responding to this <laughs> at all whatsoever. It's not within the realm <laughs> of my capability. <laughs> we we got so it. Let's go. Just gonna move on. <laughs> all right, it's chapter eighty of Blue Box because that's who I am. <sighs> so we start this chapter cutting back. Uh, a few days to the training camp when uh, Hina ran off crying from Taiki when he rejected her. And uh, Ayame not only actually saw her go by, and also turns out that she went after her and uh, went to comfort her. And at first, Ayame is like, has no idea what to do. Uh, you know, she feels guilt because she's indirectly responsible for this because she stuck her nose in this and kind of forced this issue. And she has, then she thinks, like, what do I do? What do I say? Yeah, okay, if it were me, if someone told me, oh, there's going to be all sorts of better people out there, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, then bring the, one of them to me. Uh, and if I just tell her, oh, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? She'd probably think, oh, you don't have any idea how I feel. And honestly, I don't know what heartbreak feels like, which seems to be an important realization for her. But after a few moments of her not knowing what to say, uh, she lays out a bunch of packs of tissues in front of Hina, and Hina's like, w w "What's all these?" And she says, "Oh, well, I I, I kind of thought it would be dirty at the barbecue, and I had a ton on me because I'm, you know, I'm the manager, so I had to be prepared. So you can you can use them if you want to." And uh, Hina kind of forces a smile through through the tears and thanks her for this, and Ayama just says, "You can cry as hard as you want." And uh, and then she says, you really like him, don't you? And he's like, yeah. And Hina, rather, Ayame thinks, I wonder if Inota has any idea how strong her feelings are for him. And I wonder if any of the guys who asked me out liked me the same way that she likes him. Probably not. I think she comes to that conclusion pretty quickly. Uh, but... Uh, she thinks she thinks to herself, I know that I'm sure it hurts, but I'm also jealous that she could like someone so much. So this, the feelings of this magnitude are foreign to her still. It's a very and, nice way for her to come to this realization besides like seeing a relationship she envied, seeing the, the heartbreak of one that she realizes mm -hmm. like, ah, I've never really... Like, I'm jealous that you could like somebody this much. <clears throat> yeah, maybe my, my whole, like, let's just have fun thing. Maybe that's not as great as I thought it was. But uh, um, people return from the training camps and Ayame is shooting death glares at Taiki. He's like, how dare he? How dare he not look awful because a girl is crying because of him? I wish he could be punished by law. <laughs> I, you know, she is just a collection of great expressions. Every time she sees Taiki, she is ready to fucking incinerate. Like, if she had a flamethrower, he would be on fire right now. And it would be on site. There would be no talking. She's just ready to bring this boy to fucking cinders. Hey, Inota, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I only wanted to see your eyes as I did this. <laughs> but since she doesn't have a flamethrower... Instead, she goes to hang out with Hina, and yeah. is just like, "Hey, let's just go. Let's just go hang out." Let's, and they they 
uh, you know, go to the arcade and I, I think to herself, like, look, you know, things are tough for her right now. So the only thing you can really do in this kind of situation is stop thinking so much. So they go to the arcade. Uh, they go into like a photo booth, which has, you know, like the filters over the faces and they you know start taking pictures together. Um, and uh, when they're they're talking about like, oh, I've never worn, you know, red lipstick before. And I uh, uh, like, well, I can buy you some now next time we go out. And he does clearly having a good time hanging out with Ayame. Uh, and uh, then they start playing air hockey. And I kind of wish that we had spent the entire rest of the chapter of them playing air hockey just to have a mini, like, intense sports chapter of, gonna, of air hockey. I mean, this is a sports manga, so it wouldn't be too shocking, or supplementary sports manga, I guess. So it right. wouldn't be too shocking if there was just an air hockey chapter. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, like, you know, talking about random stuff. Ayame uh get gets really into it and and she and she wins the air hockey they go and play the taiko drums they play driving games uh they play a crane game uh and <laughs> as they're playing the crane game ayame starts focusing on hina specifically and she says things to herself all right good she's she's looking like she's in better spirits now uh but then a couple of guys walk by and one of them uh says oh ayame is that you and his companion comes up to is like, oh, who's that? Oh, yeah, she's cute. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is my ex. And uh, he says, well, well, why did you guys break up? And the guy says, well, she's really demanding, you know, about like my yeah, attitude towards so works. much talking about her right there. He, he, they didn't. Hayami does not said a word back to him since he said, oh, is that you, Ayame? And then he just goes straight to talk. It legit. About- you're like. If he wasn't a high school boy, I'd be like, okay, like this would be so unrealistic. Like, why someone would crave this exact amount of confrontation to just be like, <laughs> like, oh, hey, why did you and this person break up? Like, oh, we just didn't work out or whatever. And then yeah. the real reason once you walk away, <laughs> said this guy just fucking hog wild, opens it all up right in front of her immediately. Uh, yeah, so the guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, she was really fussy about everything. And I kind of thought that, you know, like us going out, it would be chill. And Ayame flashes back to when he asked her out and uh, just thought and he was kind of like clearly be pretty awkward about it because he's like bowing to her and stuff. And Ayame thinks like, yeah, I thought he was awkward, but nice. Uh, I guess I was a poor judge of character. Uh, and um but the guy keeps on talking about her too. Just keeps on going. It's like, oh yeah, she hasn't lasted long with anyone else either. Oh, and her older sister has a real hunk of a boyfriend, so she should learn from them and be a little more considerate. And as Ayame is whipping around to 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 be like, fuck you, she can't even utter a sound before Hina cuts in and says, yeah, you've got to say it like that because otherwise you can't live with yourself, right? If you really believed all of that, then you're a terrible judge of character. So by considering yourself the same one and labeling the person who dumped you as crazy and in the wrong, then you can protect yourself from the hurt and pain caused by all that time you spent liking them. And obviously she's accurate, but she's also projecting what she's going through right now with, with uh, her rejection by Taiki. And yeah. she starts to tear up and blush and Ayame gets upset looking at her 
and grabs her by the hand and starts taking her away. And she says to the guy, if you show your face again, I'm going to tell everyone about your private account. <laughs> Which raises lots of questions. She says, it's the one where you post all your stupid selfies. But um, <laughs> I don't know why that would be private. Uh, you know, I guess as kids, you have that sort of thing, though. I say this from the vantage guess. point of somebody who was... You know, like 23 when I had my first social media account uh, and it was like, you know, like a crappy Facebook. Um, so I really don't know. This might be a different thing with like kids of a younger generation where you're just like, hey, you have like private accounts. I mean, you got to do that nowadays. Like when we started, you were just like, who will I be? Myself, obviously. Mm. How else will my friends find me? But nowadays you're just like, look, this is my private one, you know? Yeah, this is where I store the pictures I've taken of myself. Where else would I put them? I threw out my hard drive on my phone. I'll have you know. It stores no information at all whatsoever. <laughs> everything everything on my phone is Snapchat. The moment I take a look at it, it disappears forever. <laughs> uh, so Ayame and Hina run off. Uh, Hina apologizes for you know, getting worked up emotionally. And Ayame says, look, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and that is where they went after getting back from the uh, training camp. And then later on was when Ayame confronted Taiki and asked the question, is the person you like really that captivating? So now we understand that she had more context when she said that than we suspected initially, because uh, she has gotten she's she's much closer to Hina than she was uh, prior to all that going down. Um, then after Taiki walks away from that situation, Kyo, Kyo, walks up to Ayame, and Ayame, before he can say anything, just glares at him, and is like, what? <laughs> and Kyo says, says, nothing. <laughs> so she says, I bet you think I'm meddling again. Yeah, yeah, you think I'm meddling. Like, I know I'm an outsider, but when I saw her like that, Ever since I saw her and wondered why, I told myself that I'm going to tell everyone exactly what I think, because that's who I am. Deal with it. And she fucking flips off Kyo while saying this. I fuck you. I am what I am. I love that in this manga, or maybe it's just uh, like the artistic, like it had to be censored. Like we mm. can't see it. And it's it makes it so much more adorable in that way too, where it's just like the little pixelation. Like we can't show this. You're like, it's a little finger. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, Ayami rules. This is a great chapter for her. Yeah. Um, that moment in the arcade is like awesome and like so raw at the same time of like uh, Hina being like, "Why are you doing that? Like, why like." Like you, you, all this pain, you know, from the time that you spent like, and then just saw like tearing up, and I'm gonna be like, we have to get out of here, basically, because like you're about to like lose it in front of these guys and everything like that. It's 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 a very very sweet moment. I like it a lot. Yeah, this is a good chapter. Great, uh, great uh, portrayal of uh, Ayame's uh, evolution as she's yeah being both an observer and a participant in all this drama. Indeed. All right, let's talk about uh, Cypher Academy. Chapter 3, Decoding May Dance, But It Does Not Move Forward. I'm which, sorry, what? 
decoding may dance, but it does not move forward. Is the this... title a puzzle? <laughs> am I supposed to Maybe. Be, am, I, am I supposed to be circling things in this to be like, ah? The real title uh, is just like the third or some shit like that. It sounds, yeah, like like a like some sort of an Aesop or something like that. It's crazy. <laughs> Last time, Kagoe tried to get Iroha to join her so that they could find the morgue uh, and use it to stop the, all the wars in the world, supposedly. But according to what uh, Toshisai Toshi, says, uh, Kagoe is actually a warmonger. Oh. Uh, so she's, she's lying to Iroha about this. Iroha hesitates to uh, accept Kagoe's invitation, does not take her hand, uh, and he also says, like, look, I, I I feel like, you know, we just met and for a boy and girl to get close quickly. Oh, you know, it's, it's like, come on, dude, you're the only guy at this school. You will have no friends unless you have ga- gal friends. So you better get over this quickly. The fuck is your problem? Uh. And he also leaves and says, look, look, I actually think that your dream of of eradicating half of all wars is is lovely and touching. But if you're looking for a treasure hunting partner, you should choose someone more dependable than me. So I'm hoping that there's more of a, you know, like underestimation of the self going on than, a, oh, but if a guy and a girl were to start getting along, what would the what would the people think? What, <laughs> what would the faculty you know, say you know next thing you know then <laughs> girls will be showing ankle to any any person that comes by oh uh kagoe tries to you know make one last ditch effort to you know get get Biroha to join her saying like oh hey come on you you enjoyed you know solving those codes and and humiliating that toshisai girl and i set you up for that come on i i know uh, but iroha walks off a hologram appears in front of kagoe of a man with a wonderful mustache and an even more wonderful bow tie. He's got like a robot bow tie. It's got fucking charging ports in it. Look at that shit. It's amazing. Where has this guy been for the entire series so far? No, <laughs> uh, I'm dead. Sort of... Like, well, that's not the best introduction to this cool character. I mean, it seems to be like he's some sort of AI because yeah. she refers to him as CG. Uh, Ever uh, since Iron Man, everybody wants a Jarvis, and Mm -hmm. people are going to be like, what about the things before Iron Man that did that? And I say, shut up. My knowledge of pop culture started in 2008, (laughs) and it stops in 2008. (laughs) You know, there have been other Marvel movies, right? (laughs) This guy's Iron Man. The next character is Nolan's Batman. (laughs) What else happened in 2008? I the departed. <laughs> uh, oh God. So but Kagoe, you know, just says for herself like, oh, I'm gonna definitely I'm gonna get that Iroha to work with me. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh Iroha was walking down the hallway thinking about like, oh crap, I still didn't give the glasses back to Kagoe. Uh but he decides that it's better if they're not working together. Because you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, ha- I'd have to like, in order to go with this plan, I'd have to be a better cipher than all of my classmates, and that's never gonna happen. 
But then he thinks about how Koei said, like, hey, if you've got no dreams, then I'll show you some. And he gets a little bit, like, whimsical, I guess. And then he comes across one of Toshisai's uh, cohorts, and then the other one in short order. And uh, they surround him and cut him off. Uh, and in a bizarre moment, the short-haired one says, We are in the business of making offers, so choose Hozaka. Will it be a code battle or a dance battle? And there's a flashback where basically Toshisai tells them that they need to get them glasses. Uh, and uh, we cut to afterwards done. Iroha doing this ballet come break dancing routine <laughs> as they just like gaze on at him. And uh, then he's like, oh, yeah, how was that? And then she says, okay, yeah, so I came up with the puzzle while you were dancing because I was kidding when I said you could do There was never going to be a, a dance battle at all. He's like, but I I danced so well. <laughs> it, was not, it was okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and if they even agree, like, yeah, it was good dancing, but no, you have to solve this puzzle. And we're presented with the puzzle, which is not one that we get the answer to in this chapter, because the chapter ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, but it's but apparently Nick a difficult level. It. Nope. Difficulty Nick level is five stars. It out. Nope. He's uh, like, you're not supposed to look at the stars. You're supposed to look at the... This is going to be something where the, the glasses are going to put on. They're like, actually, what you're trying to read are the hidden messages underneath the stars. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of stars with with a pairing of a letter and a number in them. Uh, it's almost like uh, bingo, uh, you know, uh, calls. Uh, but some of the uh, stars as well do not have numbers on them. There's just letters. Uh, and... Uh, Again, we cut to Kagoe briefly. Two of them briefly. are shaded in as well. Ooh, what's that yep, mean? Yep, there's two of them that are shaded in. Uh, and uh, so Kagoe, you know, spies on, on Iroha because, you know, she can do that through the glasses. <laughs> and uh, the short-haired girl says, like, look, because uh, Iroha's like, oh, if I fail this, you want me to what, be, be your manservant, right? And she says, no, 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 we don't want that. You got to hand over the glasses that you're wearing. Uh, so Kagoe thinks like, oh, you know, she she must have figured out what they are. Uh, then Iroha says to the pony haired, ponytail haired uh, girl, uh, Yugata, like, oh, can can you didn't you lent me this hair tie and didn't take it back, so can I use it? And she's like, I mean, yeah, you can keep it. You you were holding it in your mouth, so I don't want it back. <laughs> I love this idea. Like, can I keep this hair tie? You're like, the things are like. A nickel? Yeah, man. Just like that you've been yeah, chewing sure. on, dog? Yeah, like just keep it. <laughs> like, do you need more? Like, what's going on, bud? Uh, so Iroha goes into his like, oh, transformation super puzzle solvy mode, which is I tie my hair up and wear glasses. Uh, and he says to the short hair girl, hey, so can, can we change the conditions? Because if I solve the code, then I want you guys to stop chasing Kagoe. <laughs> uh, I don't really know her that well, but, you know, she's, she's She's been nice to me, so and I don't want to get in her way. Kagoi again is, you know, listening in on this, uh, and she gets like kind of like squee-y, uh, which again is like does she like just want Iroha to like work with her? Does she have a 
some kind of thing for him or is she just like looking for a dude that'll just like help her make money and make wars and stuff i don't know she is kind of crazy uh as we've been indicated so uh but yeah hero is like yeah so if i solve this you guys gotta call it off uh and uh then he kind of like goads her into it uh but uh she says okay if we're gonna change the terms then not only do you have to surrender the glasses, you've also got to transfer to Trench Academy, which is a Spartan boy school where they basically rear people into soldiers. So uh, Iroha, who very, very immediately accepted the condition for a dance battle, maybe wouldn't do so well there. Uh, hey, well, let's not assume things. We don't know anything actually about how commanders in this world work. You're correct. Yeah. Maybe the dance battle. Yeah. It's somebody, it's some, there's a lot of athleticism involved in, in dance as well. So that might that, that might lead itself to being actually pretty pretty handy for you know stamina and things like that. I'm just saying the real the reason mindset. this kid wouldn't succeed, yeah, he's a wo- <laughs> he's like a super wuss. So like yeah, that's the mindset. Yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the mind of a killer, certainly. When he was just like, can I keep this hairband or should I return it to you? And they're like, well, you've been chewing on it. So what do you think, dog? <laughs> Iroha is like, oh, yeah, and this is going to be it. I'm going to solve this, help out Kagoe, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give up the glasses. It'll, it'll be done. But then suddenly Kagoe's monitor goes <laughs> blank. And she says, wait, what's going on? What's going on here? Uh, and she's trying to be like, did our connection you know, get, get severed? She's trying to, you know, do the do the cell phone thing by moving her laptop around for, to, get, to get her perception. And CG says, when you transferred my grandchild to Iroha Irozaka, which I guess is what he refers to the glasses as, you gave him the charger as well, didn't you? So the battery of the glasses has run out. Warp, warp. How's he gonna solve the puzzle without the glasses? That's the cliffhanger. Uh, so I feel like this was the most entertaining chapter of Cypher Academy so far. Uh, again, the problem I feel with the series is just going to be can a series that is built around code solving where a lot of the context of the codes is not really going to be readily available to us, would that be interesting for us to cover week to week? Of the four series that we are getting in this batch, I'm easily the most interested in this one. <laughs> By the way, but I, not required that we add. Like It's not like there's a hard rule. Like you have to not. add something. If we did have to, I would say <clears throat> this one. But I don't think... But I don't know if it's going to work out so well. Imagine, dude, the the situation where every week it's like, it, oh, this this manga is about riddles. But instead of like one of those riddles you could actually answer, it's one of those ones you have to like ask leading questions to. It's just fucking blue balls every single week of a mm-hmm. magazine. Be wild. Yeah. So I think as of right now, I'm going to have to say this probably won't work out. I would love it if I could say it would but I'm not confident in that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. So back in just a second. <clears throat> hey, maybe maybe it'll be better later. Who knows? I'm going to talk now about Fabricant 100, uh, which is the new series that is just debuted in Shonen Jump this week. 
chapter one, Ashihiyao. So uh, in this world, we are introduced to the idea that there were these artificial humans that were invented, uh, but the fabricants, the as the artificial humans are called, uh, were not like ideal humans. Uh, and the number of fabricants grew and grew. And on the day of the 100th creation came to life, ooh, the doctor died. So the, the 100th fabricant was the last one. And as we get into it, we start off on this almost kind of like cold open. Uh, it's not that's not the term for it. But before we are introduced to the protagonist, we are kind of like given uh, the setting that they're coming into. We get to see the crime that they are here to solve uh, before they arrive, uh, which is that, you know, it's, there's this train that is going through the countryside. Uh, a man is dining with his uh, fiance, I think. Uh, and then a figure runs alongside the train, reaches through the window and yanks her out. And is she's gone before the guy can even react. That's how quickly it, it goes. Uh, and eventually the woman is found later. Uh, but you know, she's, she's dead. Only her corpse is found. And also both of her eyes have been gouged out. So days later, uh, our protagonists are introduced and they're riding the same train. There is a young boy. And then there is a tall adult woman who is being very, 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 like, obtrusive with, like, taking care of him, uh, you know, demanding that he eat in such a way and su and stuff, and they're making a big scene. Uh, and a woman from another table calls over to them and says, like, oh, you're, you're very brave to be traveling on this train, or are you not aware of the incident that happened here recently? And the kid says, oh, no, 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 we are aware of it. We're going to punish the one who was responsible for, for it. Uh, and they start to realize like, oh, wait, I think I've seen you somewhere before because there was this well-known incident that happened relatively recently in history, which is that there was this large family that was brutally murdered. Because yes. This family that uh, had the inherent ability to retain their youth even as they grew older so you know there, there would be members of this family who were getting into the hundreds and they still looked like they were just in their like mid 30s uh and even when they died at like 110 years old they still looked just as young as as, as that time but then one night the whole family was found hacked to pieces their corpses disassembled the only survivor was a young boy who was 14 years old a Shibi Yao, who is the boy who's sitting at the table here. So, uh, then, uh, but the boy is just interested in what happened recently here. Uh, so their attention is drawn over to a guy who is drinking away his sorrows. It's the man who lost his fiance. And so they go to talk to him about it to try and, you know, learn more information. The tall woman who is with Yao, uh, is clearly does, is like not into everything that's going on. Uh, and uh, the guy, when they catch up to him and kind of get him to talk about stuff, he says, do you, do you know what the thing was that took her away? And uh, it turns out that there is this estate where the doctor who created the fabricants used to live. And he was fixated on creating ideal humans. 
but the fabricants uh, were not ideal. And as more and more of them created, as he tried to perfect them, then the doctor died and the fabricants were left on their own with that same obsession the doctor had to become the ideal humans. And so they thought, well, maybe the problem is we don't have the right body parts. And so they went around stealing superior flesh from humans and attaching it to their own bodies and basically self-Frankenstein themselves. Uh, so, oh, the eyes that were stolen from this man's fiance, oh, they were more ideal eyes than the eyes that the fabricant had. And so they replaced them. So, uh, but the, the man who lost his fiance is like, oh, but, but, but how, how do you know about the, about all of this? What if the Yao family was massacred by these fabricants to take their youth and longevity? Ah, that's crazy. Just, just like, yeah, these two, these two things that fit. Yeah, you look. There are things that steal body parts from other people, and there's a family that famously lives to be like eternally young. But these two things can't possibly go together. I won't buy that. <laughs> That's a bridge too far for me. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, the guy looks down at uh, at Yao and he says, hey, look, you know, it's not like catching the killer will bring the victims back to life. Which is a really weird thing for the guy who is in the middle of, you know, like he, he's been grieving for like, what, three days or something like that. And he's the one who has this realization and not Yao. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, catching a murderer and punishing them won't bring the victim back. And I was desperate to catch the murderer. But uh, then whenever I came back to our empty home, it, it sunk in that nothing I did would bring her back to me. And I realized there wasn't a reason to find her killer anymore. The people who benefit from ridding the world of a dangerous person aren't the victims. And the people who might suffer in the future have nothing to do with me. So why do you want to catch these human fabricants? Anyway, I'm a shitty person, so why why do you want to catch these people? I it's hey, I can see he's it, like swallowed by grief. He doesn't see a point to anything anymore. Yeah. Uh they go out uh to hang out on the back of the train outside, and Yao uh takes puts on a ring that's got like a claw on it, and he slices his arm to draw blood. And he explains, like, yeah, fabricants have physical abilities that really outmatch regular humans. And so they can sense things from much further away. So if there's a fabricant in the area, it will smell the blood of superior flesh. And yeah, a fabricant shows up. Yeah, uh, like the most, like this series is like dwelling in like this darkness for so long. We never saw the monster. And then this motherfucker shows up the most anime like, hey, what's going on there, fellow kids? <laughs> like there's hands behind his head and everything like that. You're like, this was not the tone I thought we were going with when this character showed up. You like my parachute pants? <laughs> hey, what's going on, peeps and peepets? <laughs> so... He wants Yao's flesh because, oh, he's a superior Yao flesh human being and stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been uh, you're, you're out getting here, getting revenge on all us fabricants, right? Uh, uh, and I, I want to size up tons of human parts. And, and with these new cool eyes that I stole, I've got a good eye for judging them. And uh, the man says, those are Luna's eyes. 
Give them back. Uh, and instead, the uh, fabricant uh, just like st- sits there. And then the woman who's with Yao dashes forward so quickly that um, uh, the man doesn't even perceive it. Her hat flies off and her hair blows out. She's got oh. long hair. And oh man, she's got stitches too. So she is a fabricant and not just any fabricant because we get a flashback to explain that on the day that Yao's family was killed, he saw that there was only one thing to do. You know, he like, you know, his mother died while she was protecting him and stuff. And uh, he realizes, oh, not his mother, his sister. Can you tell that I didn't really care about this? Uh, <laughs> so instead, he basically made this gambit and said, listen, the Yao family has is renowned for our eternal youth and longevity. And once we turn 18, we start to age very slowly. But everyone else in the family was already over the age of 20. And I'm just 14. So in four years, my body will be in peak physical condition. Until then, I'll take care of myself. And once I reach that age, I will give up my body in exchange, eliminate all the fabricants from the world. And this gambit pays off because the woman was like, yeah, that sounds good. Killed all the other fabricants that were there uh, slaughtering the Yao family and just did it immediately because, as it turns out, fabricants have a hierarchy and she is the 100th fabricant the most ideal and strongest of all of them that were created. Whoa. And, oh, how convenient. And she takes Yao's hand and says... Wow, the series is called Fabricant 100, Nick. You should figure it would come up at some point. I guess so. As long as your body is superior to other humans, I will obey you. My powers are yours, and your body is mine. Which is kind of a a little poetic thing. Uh, But yeah, she overpowers the, uh, the other Fabricant. Uh, it manages to like kick away and starts running away. And he's like, all right, well, look, this is not a good fight for me. So I'm just going to run and I'll run so far away that they can't possibly catch me. Why am I running back to the train? Uh, Whoa. Yeah, he just goes all the way back to the train, stands in front of Fabricant 100 again. And and we get this explanation that fabricants are so becoming a superior being is so ingrained in them that they can't resist the call of superior blood and flesh. It, it, it overwhelms. You can't any run other from this fight. Nick. So that's right. Like I can't, I want that juicy, juicy flesh. That's right. So the fabricant, uh, tries to go, could you, maybe if you could, could you just let me have an arm, please, please. And, uh, yeah, get, gets grabbed. And um, she gets punch- he gets punched in the face because, as Yao's fabricant says, you're causing Ashibi stress, and that's not healthy for him. And then she yoinks out his eyes, and uh, yep. Um, I really wish that was the sound effect yep. that went along with it. There is no real sound yoink. effect. I mean, it's like the, the punch, but yeah, like a little like yoink, as <laughs> she just plucks them out. Uh. The man who lost his fiance thinks, you know, uh, no matter how much I wept at her grave or chased my memories of her, it didn't help heal the pain of losing someone precious to me. But now, knowing that no one else will have that time stolen from them, and he puts a little sheet over his wife's eyes and and, and cuddles them, and 
I, I kind of get it, but it's like those are eyeballs, uh, not the most cuddle friendly body parts. That's why you, that's why you put them in a paper towel first. That way, that's right. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be ridiculous. Fixes the problem right up. Uh, the case is solved. They they killed the train murderer uh, uh, fabricant and saw, saved the day. Uh, the man uh, gives them his contact information. Says, "Hey, if there's anything I can do to help, just let me know." And uh, the woman says to Ashibi. Hey, does doing all this actually give you comfort? Uh, but uh, she and and she and she says, I think that the human reside because you know doing this won't bring back the dead, and you can only make up what you've lost by taking from someone else. So how about we just pick out some humans who look like your family, which is probably the most like silly thing that happens like just this weird dark way of looking at, at things where she doesn't get it but anyway uh, she was like look you don't need to understand what we're doing you just gotta fulfill our promise right and she smiles at him creepily and the and she says yep and uh, we'll keep on eliminating the fabricants until the day my dream comes true just 82 more to go uh so yeah um this is our series. We've got this kind of dynamic that somewhat reminds me of Black Butler, where we've got, you know, the the, the young uh, boy who has the demonic superpowered being working for them. But really, the demonic superpowered being is doing it supposedly uh, for selfish purposes because of some Faustian pact between them. Uh, and uh, yep, um, this all happened. Uh, I had uh, someone on Twitter point out to us that uh, isn't it kind of weirdly uh, weird that you've got this kind of thing of like a, oh gosh what's the term um, like 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 superior beings like you know gene genetically yeah so um, which I think that the fact that the monsters have that, you know, predilection is makes it like it's not a problem. But the fact that our hero literally comes from superior blood and refers to his blood as superior. Yeah, that could be a little bit of a problem. I get the sense that we may not have to worry about that for very long. Um, just a gut feeling. I don't know if this is going to work, guys. So... I think there's a lot of potential to the series. It has like sort of that weird sort of like Tim Burton gothic energy that I think some people will really cater to. Um, I know there's a lot of displeasure from how this series changed from um, its one shot, mm -hmm. which the lead was like a bit older and it had a bit more of a horror vibe. This one has a little bit of like gothic comedy to it which is definitely just like a different kind of tone in general um whether it'll succeed or not is a different thing i i definitely didn't like come away from this chapter being like wow what a series and i said like when the when the dude showed up who was the antagonist i was like this feels really lame <laughs> like this feels like <laughs> really like a big letdown as for who we were going to have like yeah. show up like the design He's not just, drawn in a scary way. The design just felt very flat. Um, and yeah, like it just felt like this was an aesthetic that should have been like visibly like palpable throughout. 
Um, but again, I, I could see this series catching on. I don't know if it will, but I, I, I do think it has that premise or that promise. Uh, I will be muted for a second. Okay. Let's talk about Ginka and Luna, Chapter 13, Archive. Let's get to say a, a, a color cover page. Look, the series is going to end soon. I'm not going to get attached to it. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, they are still in the guild. Uh, Luna is uh, heading to the archive with everyone as they're being shown the way by the, um, I believe, still unnamed uh, servant uh, who they hopped out before. Uh, and Luna's like, oh, I love books. I love books. Uh, and... Um, as they're walking around, uh, Anemone takes a book from the servant kid and holds it up to Beretta and says, oh, you should check this book out. And uh, Beretta says, oh, I know that book. That's the Fundaments of Magic. That's for children who are starting their magical studies. Excuse me. Uh, but this is a new book to Luna, who, of course, you know, grew up in the wilderness and has not had all the same experiences as people who, you know, grew up in more urban uh, societies and such. Uh, as they enter the archive, uh, Luna starts to go, oh, wow, and, and make an excla exclamation. But the uh, servant covers her mouth and shh. And they point up there are these distorted corpses that are twisted into very uncomfortable shapes hanging from the ceiling of the library because it's a reminder to be quiet. Uh, so, yeah, it's a library. Shut the fuck up. Uh, people start to go around and look at stuff. Uh, they point out that the librarian is not even here. Uh, so Anemone says, oh, maybe we should wait for them to get back. And Ginka says, no, let's split up and search for the book, even though there are, you know, thousands of books in there, as Beretta points out. Uh, but they do have a clue, which is any book about ancient magic will radiate amounts of magical energy. So they'll at least be able to detect it that way. Uh, but the problem, of course, is that there's tons and tons of ancient tomes, so it's not like they'll just be drawn to it like a magnet. Uh, Luna looks over the books, and she also thinks about some of the stuff that, you know, has been told to her about, you know, like, oh, this stuff is forbidden, oh, everyone knows about this stuff, and she realizes that there's a ton of stuff that she just does not know about. Uh, and she also thinks about, you know, like, oh, you fight with all you've got, everything you can muster, that way if you lose, you won't have any regrets. That was a lie, wasn't it? Uh, and she also thinks about uh, seemingly her mom being on her deathbed and how she, you know, lost uh, her mother, despite the fact that, uh, you know, she fought with everything that she had. Her mom died. And, oh, that sucks. Yep. She tried so hard and uh, got so far. But in the end, or, didn't even or not so far. Yeah. Luna, <laughs> uh, yeah, her mom wanted to clearly, you know stay alive and look after Luna and she didn't so she you know died with the regrets by tr trying to find as hard as she could that sucks uh, Luna is off with Beretta as the group has split up and uh, she says hey so you guys were talking about the fundaments of magic right uh, but Beretta's like you know distracted by books and everything and Beretta says yeah yeah so what we call magic is communication between a magician and magical energy and she pulls a copy of the fundaments of magic from the shelf and uh, she says, I mean, I don't even know what the hell this is doing in the archives of forbidden knowledge. Good point. 
but I, as she pulls the book out, like images burst up from around them. There's just from a it. pair of like cartoonish tits drawn into the first page. Like, oh, ah, someone, de- someone defaced us. I get it. Uh, and Beretta explains like, yeah, so, you know, using magic is, you know, it's the process of using spells. Basically, you make requests of the magical energy that is in the world. The simpler the request, the easier the spell. More complicated spells are extremely difficult much like in, you know, human society. I'm no good at talking. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she also indicates like, oh, you know, we the nature of magical energy changes from place to place. So the exact same spell can have varying effects. And that's why we use wands. At the wand's tip, there is a magical energy crystal. And by using the same source of magical energy every single time, you heighten the odds that you replicate the effect. Which is i i feel like this if we're getting like you know big techno babble parts this is probably the most essential part is like this is why you use wands in this world is this is how magic works and, and everything and also it gives you an indication of why uh luna's magic works differently uh and with, with wild magic and everything i i'd like to compare and contrast this to the other magical base series with wands mashal where everyone has wands except they turn into swords except for the one dude who's just like yo fuck this i'm gonna i'm gonna press mine into a fucking tennis racket and beat you up with it (laughs) uh and this whole system is uh, with wand magic is verrokian magic which has been name dropped before uh and but she says like look you know all the stuff in this book is just you know how to use simple verrokian magic Uh, even a basic like me can do it then a person arrives. It's a, it's a tall woman who's got an eye patch sash thing. It's 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 like a bandage kind of kind of style eye patch, and uh, she starts talking more about Verokia magic and stuff. And Luna, after she, she just a little says a little bit, says, "Yeah, who are you?" <laughs> Introductions first. If you see a character uh, with this kind of character design walk into a room, you definitely don't stop. Like you catch notice of it, like. Yeah. If I was walking around a Walmart and like a lady showed up with like a giant bandage around and like two giant like hairpins through the hair and like a cloak half off, I'd be like, all right, she's a main character or a boss yeah. or something. Something's going on. Uh, she introduced herself as Hera and uh, she says, yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't help but interject because you, because I thought your conversation was interesting. And but uh, I feel like, you know, this is like a a more accurate term for Verokia magic is actually stripped down. They've been compressed into something akin to mere words. But in the old days, spells were closer to poems. The basic incantation of sword, arrow, shield was originally a poem that extolled a hero who gave his life for his country. And in the area which such po- spells were poetry, the hero's image must have filled the magician's heart and granted them power. Uh, and uh, she's like, yeah, and that it's it's thought to have been a far stronger spell back then than it is today. Just look at the book itself. The Fundamentals of Magic is a mere textbook nowadays, but this first edition is infused with magic. And at this point, we have no way of knowing what its creator is intended by weaving such magic into it. But I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Anemone and Luna are like enraptured by this whole thing. But it feels like some tidbits in that are also going to be important later of 
uh, you know, like, oh, you know, this makes it easier, but this could be more, if it's more difficult, then it's going to be more powerful and all that stuff. But it's put into much, very, very solid terms of like, the recitations are more complex and everything. They thank her for the explanation. And she says, okay, now let's put this book back. Uh, and Anemone is like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, by the way, Miss Hera, um, you, you put the book back in the wrong place. And she goes to move it. And Hera grabs her wrist and says, it's fine where it is. Uh, and they start to get a little bit weird. You, you look, they're like, oh, this is kind of weird. But Hera says, I'm sure you've wondered yourself, why two must always follow one? And she rearranges the books a bit. And they're just in a random order now. And she says, isn't it beautiful this way? And Luna says, I mean, won't the next person who comes by be confused? And Hera says, would not the sky be more beautiful if it were yellow? Which is a great quote out of context, I feel like. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like if it didn't come from a person who's going to be in, in moments be revealed to be like a skeleton monster. <laughs> yeah, she. I mean, she grabs Anemone and says, I mean, you're beautiful in this form, but without a head and arms, you'd be more beautiful still. Oh, this might be a bad thing. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm starting to think she's not on our side. This isn't this isn't like a team on our side. Anemone uh, has come across this and she's hiding around the corner of one of the shelves. And uh, we get a brief little flashback that shows that, oh. Oh, this is this is the master that uh, Anemone's had problems with. Master Shahirazad. So Hera's in the middle of her name. Uh, Shahirazad. Yeah. So Shahirazad says, why should the world be as it is and not how I wish it to be? Uh, and immediately she she's she realizes, you know, Luna is actually a magician. And she says, tell me between us. Where is he? And who are you to him? If And uh, Luna has kind of this blank expression on her face. So she says, if I tell you, will you loan me that book? Oh. The book that's hidden under your belt, throbbing with magical energy. Let me have it. <laughs> Goes to like do a hip toss or something like that and whip around. But as she snaps around, her arm falls into pieces, like perfectly cut pieces uh, and then when she whips it back, her arm is whole again. Uh, and she squares off with Shahrazad, who says, oh, yeah, I've already checked out the book you want. However, the rules don't apply to magicians. If you want this book, come and take it from me. Only do so quietly. Now, Nick, do you know there's a famous Shahrazad card in Magic Gathering? Uh, no. It is banned in every format. I believe. Uh, uh, let me see. Well, the 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 reason it is primarily banned is because when you play the card, you you play a second game of magic with everything you had left remaining in your deck. Oh, and then whoever yeah, loses I, I that game this. loses like half their life or something like that. And then you start again. Yeah. <laughs> or you pick up where you left off. <laughs> yeah, you had to start back over basically. Uh the reason why I bring it up there is uh Famously, Magic does some of these uh, comedy sets where, like, they really kind of mm. play with the rules of the game. And uh, there's an official, like, multimedia company uh, called uh, Loading Ready Run who gets to do, like, their official pre-pre-releases. So they did one for that silly, like, goofy set. 
And while they were doing it, one guy played a card that's like, all right, you, a single player, now become two players. So you split your deck in half, you give it to somebody yeah. else, and they play it. And they started doing it, and then their opponent was like, I get to bring a card from outside the game. I want to play Scheherazade. And they're like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you have no idea what you've just wrought on us. Like, this entire production cup. They didn't swear. Obviously, they were just like, we can figure this out. But it was like, so much work had to go in just being like, how do we, we even we've process gotta have We've got to have two two-on-one games going on. Yeah, exactly. Like, eventually, it gets to the point where it's like, can you even draw seven cards out of your deck? You're like, D- just barely. <laughs> like, it's it, it's not going to last very long. <laughs> uh, it feels like there is a huge info dump in this chapter. Uh, almost as if the series is going to last a significant amount of time, which is not going to. It's going to end in like three chapters, you guys. I'm telling you. Well, like, I, don't I, I, get attached. I don't know if this is meant to be like an Unahana uh, is dead and never coming back moment, but the series is doing relatively well. Uh, I, d- I don't know what you're talking okay. about. It got a color page because it's on its deathbed. Okay. All right. It's was... not. Uh, <laughs> I want to check I think... because sometimes we do get these things and then they do end in three chapters. So that is, that is entirely possible. And again, I am in half joking mode, but I'm also saying this because I need to have that part of me prepped. So <laughs> and that's fair. Uh, I think this is a despite all the info dumpy that this is a fun chapter. I really like the introduction of Shahrazad and and how the way that she starts off in this kind of like with this like friendly explanation and then it starts to get twisted and turns into this rant about how, oh, She's dangerous because she's willing to just meddle with everything. And that's bad sometimes. Uh, and uh, now we've got uh, Luna scoring off against her. And hey, maybe this will be an actual fight, which we haven't actually gotten in Genki and Luna in a little while because things keep on like being a short spar and then they're interrupted uh, and they just make good with each other, which again might happen. She seems to be the librarian of, this, of the archive. Uh, so... We'll see if they just if Luna just has to like beat her or if they fight for one chapter and then they're like, oh, okay, I'll give you the thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, man, all right. Let's talk about the, the big new series. Each Shigoki is under control. Do we just uh, want to add it now? Like, let's take out the ceremony of like, no, okay. no, 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 no. I can't do this. Okay. I can't muster interest in this i just can't he's got a stupid face through this chapter and a guy breaks into the school because because there's still a hole in the wall because there's a hole in the wall nick it's continuity what does he want from them why is he holding the school up what's he trying to get uh so uh but uh then Ichigoki doesn't follow uh, the the robbers' demands, which are you know, hey, line up against there because um, she- science girl. I don't care. She's she she's like, no, he's gonna rob us of our youth. This is a sit-in, uh, and she's trying to do something, but she accidentally stumbled into a panel inside Ichigoki's head. And this portal opens up and it transforms Ichigoki's head into a head she was working on earlier. And it's got an ugly face. 
and that face is my face too. Oh, it turns out the robber has got a face that looks just like the weird face that she made, and it makes him feel all nostalgic, but he thinks he's being tricked, so uh, she she freaks out and hits a bunch of buttons, and oh my god, all the messed up faces that she made appear around him, and he thinks that they're his family, question mark, uh, and then she says, listen, Ichigoki, I've made you sound like someone's mom with a voice changer, so bring him to tears. And Ichigoki's like, you should come home and pay for your crimes. And the guy lets himself get taken away and arrested. And uh, all the guys are like, Ichigoki, that was incredible. Woo! Uh, and that's it. See, I, I legit kind of found a funny chapter. I don't know, there were some amusing moments. I kind of like the joke with the the stupid face and the the bandits. Like, but that's my face, Ma! Ah, the, it's amusing. I kind of like the teacher who just goes with things that is shit. also introduced in this chapter. You know, Ichigoki's <laughs> hand is flying off in the air and stuff. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. The bank robber comes in and he's like, eh, let's just do what he says, sure. And then they get rid of him he's like, alright, yeah, class is over. Cool, bye. Now, I had a very important question, because I there's he's asked to solve a math problem and he goes up and like does it, he like shoots out a projector and bloop. Mm-hmm. Nick, is that math equation correct? I because you're like a gave big it a go. Nerd. Yeah, you would you would try to solve it. I I gave it a go uh, and then decided this is taking too long. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna bother. I I. If I had had 20 minutes in a, in a pencil and paper, I could have probably done it because it is a, uh, algebra. But I was just like, it's not worth it. And then when I saw the square roots coming, I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm happy with my decision not to not to bother with Nick's this. like, I'm glad we could skip this. Yeah. All, All right. right. Let's move on. I've got a puzzle for you, Quinn. Let's do it. Remember, I'm six. So you can't be mean to me. All right. This is going to be a weird one. <clears throat> you know what I'm perceiving? This is proper. This is a palpable premonition that you're perceiving because I can perceive it. This is someone's crappy promo. Yes, it is. Where they just keep saying perceive over and over again. Which is like, you could say that for like, I see... Or, like, knowing. Um, was the affectation that you did it in meant to be part of the clue? Yes. Okay. You know what I'm perceiving? This is proper. This is a palpable premonition that you're perceiving because I can perceive it. <sighs> A lot of brain fog going on at the moment. I'm going to say. Do you want me to narrow it down for you? Sure. Think 2012. And also think of something that we reference all the time. (laughs) It can't be Steiner math, right? It is not. It's not that we don't reference it. Um, Fuck. Is it? Is it Bray Wyatt? (laughs) No. This is the omnibus of Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I thought Brock Lesnar for a moment, but I wasn't 100% positive. 
this feeling that you're feeling is a real feeling because I can feel it. That's what I was doing. Anytime I think Brock Lesnar, all I ever think is, let's do this. Yep. Oh, man. Classic. All right. Nick, I have a game for you as well. Oh, God. Okay. Let me let me get my uh, my timer up. You have a minute. Yep. To guess a wrestler. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. By the way, score as a reminder: tie two and a, two, I believe. It's a tie. Yeah. So, ready and go. All right. Are they alive? Yes. Are they an active wrestler? Yes. Are they in WWE currently? Yes. All right. Are they in NXT? No. Are they on SmackDown? I don't know that off the top of my head, unfortunately. Okay. Are they Are they a male? Yes. All right. Are they part of a tag team? No. Okay. Uh, are they currently a champion? No. All right. Have they been a world champion? Yes. Okay. Have they been an NXT champion? No. Have they been a tag team champion? Yes. Okay. Uh, have they been a United States champion? Yes. Intercontinental? Yes. Okay. Uh, have they been active since the Attitude Era? Yes. Ooh. Okay. Uh, have they? Ooh. Have they been in TNA? No. Okay. Uh, are they a Hall of Famer? I'm not sure on that. Okay. Um, did, have they won a Royal Rumble? Uh, let me double check real quick on that one. Uh, yes, they have won a Royal Rumble. Okay, they've won a Royal Rumble, United States Champion, Intercontinental Champion, Tag Team Champion, Former World Champion. Is this Edge? God damn it, get to the good part. And I'm cashing in the veto in the bank, Nick. What the fuck is this? We're cashing in the veto in the bank. Edge is the what only is other. What's going on? He's the only other famous veto in the uh, money in the bank. Oh, person. Dolph Ziggler. I'm, yeah, cash- he's a, he's a- I'm cashing in the veto in the bank, Nick. We're talking about morgues. I don't care what you think, Nick. What's going on? All morgues. All the time. <laughs> I. What's going on? <laughs> what's happening right now? <laughs> All I wanted was to talk about morgues. And I was like. That's fine. <laughs> I want to find out why the chapters are titled fucking. It's a lazy Sunday and the moon is wet, but it's a good day to fly or whatever the fuck this week's chapter was. Quinn, was I right or not? <laughs> yes, you're right, obviously. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I only picked Edge so I could play his theme song, but I forgot it doesn't start with the like actual part of his theme song. <laughs> It doesn't start. It start. It doesn't start with the "You think you know me" thing. Well, no, I just thought it would start with the. Oh, really? I, really I did not-, not hear any of that, by the way, over the call, so that was why I'm so confused. <laughs> well, if it helps, I knocked off a couple of the sequins as well. <laughs> it all worked out, though. Nick, congratulations! Oh You're now in the lead, three and two. I was getting weirdly increasingly confident as I was like, these are all yes. <laughs> I know. I like I asked her to answer a couple. I was like, I don't think he's part of a tag team right now, but I'm honestly not 100 percent, sir. He is. He is not currently because he's out with injury. Oh. So, yeah. 
Oh, oh. you were correct. He wasn't. He wasn't the Hall of Fame. Yes, that was what, why I was trying to narrow it down. I was like, if this is Edge, then he's in the Hall of Fame, so I can narrow it down to there. But when you said you didn't know, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. So, all right, yay! I'm li- I'm winning again. <laughs> I need a pizza, please. <laughs> morgs, right. morgs, morgs, morgs. That's fine. <laughs> Look, we have chosen to add. Cypher Academy to the recap for, with the noblest of intentions. <laughs> All right. Pizza, 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 pizza. Pizza. Chapter 60. Furusu's core. Yes, this is a Furusu chapter. What? Uh, Furusu has like just gotten done talking about you know how great Fanja's performance was, and he thanks her in the moment after having had a little emotional moment to himself and says... Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us despite all the last-minute changes. First, realized, like, oh, man, he was crying. And his tears were more beautiful than mine. So much more. How can I... Which is a really weird moment to have, like, this, you know, inferiority complex kick into, like, oh, his tears are so much more beautiful than mine. <laughs> but that's the kind of series that this is. Yes. It turns out Furusu was not the only person who did not leave the performance hall or did not leave the bleachers. Apparently, like, the entire orchestra was was still there with Fanta as well. But uh, Picasso Accardi, <laughs> the famous uh, composer, comes down the steps and applauds Fanta's performance, says that uh, there were all these incredible emotions that were evoked from it. Despair, suspicion, satisfaction, resignation. And by the second note, all those feelings I felt were just jammed in and then scattered. And what was revealed in the end was a twinkling world just for this audience. Uh, and Fanta is shocked that Picasso Accardi is there. And everyone's like, what is he doing here? Oh, my God. And Furusa identifies him as one of the top three conductors in the entire world. But Accardi comes down next to Furusu and says to Fanta, oh, I've I've played with your father before, but you and I haven't performed together yet, so let's do so uh, soon. Which is a nice little note. But then he says to Furusu, what you said was good when you said, oh, because it's you playing the piano, your genius stands out. You're correct. One's genius depends on the person. It can really shine or it can die. Even those who know they were born geniuses and those who think they're just normal people can become more wonderful than before through a series of experiences. But geniuses are often stereotyped and labeled as transformative. In other words, when they transform, it means that the treasure, their genius, was found and loved. Geniuses put in the effort so that they can shine and shine and shine as long as they are loved. Bye. I love that this, leaves. this terrifying puppet man just gives this brilliant speech and then he turns on his heels and he's like, goodbye now. And uh, I mean, of course, we have context for this as well, because we just got that flashback that featured Gakuan, who was able to shine because he was loved, even though he's an asshole to everyone. It was important that he was loved. Uh, Akardi uh, walks outside and uh, catches up with uh, Dada Sensei, uh, and uh, he says, "Oh yeah, I wanted I wanted to congratulate the performer. Now let's get started and talk about your student Lucky." 
So what's going on there? Uh, but back in the performance hall, Furusu thinks to herself, like, I was thinking the same thing as him. Uh, Fanta looks down at Furusu and says, hey, you're wearing Lucky's school uniform. So that means you're studying music. What are you studying right now? And she kind of freezes up and then she gets like the most depressed look on her face. It is amazing how much emotion is conveyed in, in it with just because it's such a it's not a very detailed face uh, drawing of her face. But she's just goes the piano uh, and Fanta says, well, maybe you're better off as a conductor. Because I've performed with a lot of conductors, and there are some who can like dispel nervousness. And what you said to me just now, it kind of felt like that. Uh, and Furus says, "Wait, you, you, you mean you get nervous? No, I don't get nervous, but it felt like you dispelled nervousness." <laughs> so Furusu says, "Well, maybe I'll try conducting, and I guess I would have to switch my major." Uh, and Fanta, you know, like. Uh, says, oh, you know, you could ask if there is a conductor teacher here because, you know, they're in a college full of students, of musical teachers and students and everything. And then he leans over the edge of the stage and extends a hand to her and they kind of shake hands and, and Furusu thanks him. Uh, and as the chapter winds down, Furusu narrates, you know, I love listening to amazing performances. And if I could listen to those kinds of performances up close and have the talent to listen and create music together. And if that inexplicable feeling could become my conductor's baton, I really, really want to cherish it. And that inexplicable feeling is what she saw during the performances, just that scribble that had no form and now she feels it kind of take shape into a conductor's baton potentially and uh fanta kind of walks with her over to the orchestra and says by the way what's your name and they and she introduces herself so hey first who is taking a step forward in a new path yeah that's good i i think it's a, it's a great direction for her um i'm glad to see she's getting some focus i'm very curious to see where this goes because it almost sounds as though like I was like, oh, well, she could be like Lucky's composer. It's like, well, it doesn't sound like what her conductor doesn't like, seem like it. It's like that's no. what she's gonna do. No, I mean she was kind of introduced as Lucky's first rival in the series, <laughs> so it's possible that uh, that dynamic could be revived in a new form. Very much so. Yeah, it's a, co it's a cool chapter, and I'm really glad that we that we've got something for Furusu to do besides just sit back and be amazed by people better at playing piano than her. Yeah. <laughs> so. We already have Sadame. We don't need more. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 135, Rio Grants and the Definition of Handsome. Uh, Rio Grants has been fucked up, and it looks like everything's done, but he stands up and then just gets the shit beat out of him. And yep. then he, he doesn't let go. Doom, you know, he grabs onto Doom's pant legs, so Doom just punches the shit out of him again, and he's just like, it's you know, it's pointless. Your your struggle will do nothing but prove your own weakness. This is such a waste of your good looks. He punched him in the face. And uh, Rio's like, do you, is that what you think it means to be handsome? That's not what it means. It's not about how you look on the outside. It's about helping those weaker than you without being asked, being true to your word, even under threat of death, always being willing to forgive others. <coughs> Most important of all, no matter how strong your foe, 
or how outmatched you find yourself. It's always standing up to defend your friends. That is what makes a man. Yeah, and of course he's got all of his friends there who are, you know, beaten up but still trying to fight, and he keeps on standing up, and uh, all the crowd who are watching it through the portal screen thing start cheering, cheering him on again, so Rio Grant is still the big hero. Yeah, cool, popular everyone's like, he's so cool, and then he literally just passes out into Doom's chest, uh, and Doom's like, you know what? I admit you possess true strength, and now I shall free you from the burden that comes along with it, just as the sword is about to come down, what should happen, Nick? But the classic mash moment of a door getting kicked wide off its hinges. Boom! <laughs> this time it's for dramatic purposes. Mash is there. There's a big two-page spread of Mash descending like these just battle abuse staircases as everyone kind of watches on. Mash is like, made it. And of course, all of his friends are just like, yeah, barely. What took you so long? And we, we see the group back at Melia Dula, uh, Melia Gould's place, Melia Dula, whatever her name was. They're all just like, fuck, we're going to feel this tomorrow. This was exhausting. <laughs> and uh, Mash walks up to Rio Grants and is like, have this and feel better and drops a cream puff. He's like, it's a cream puff, only half eaten. <laughs> That last detail makes that joke. Like he clearly like it like the Goku Sensu bead moment of just like you need to feel better. But I did eat half of this cream puff on the way here, uh, and he drops some cream puffs off everybody else, and then he just says, "You can leave the rest to me." We get a big two page spread. Mash is back, Nick. Wow. Yeah, it's been we've, so long. We've been without long. Mash for a while. Uh, one thing I want to know. Uh, Doom says, oh, this is a waste of your handsome looks. He's blind. So is he sensing how handsome Rio Grants is every time he punches him in the He's face? He's like, ooh, this <laughs> curvature. Ooh, you're sex you're sexy. <laughs> now, I believe it's because <coughs> he, like Ryu has just been proudly pronouncing how handsome he is every couple nah, minutes. Nah, nah, can't be it. Can't but I do it. love the idea that he is like reading the curvature with every punch and he's just like, ooh, oh, is this golden ratio you have going on here? <laughs> that's, that's exquisite. All right. Let's uh, go on to the Elusive Samurai, chapter 89, Mino, 1335. The wild, uh, experimental soldier guy is fighting with Kojiro and pushing him back uh, and Kojiro's like oh man I, I managed to beat Shibukawa but how am I struggling against this spindly guy so Hoshino is observing this fight and he descends from his horse and is like I'll start fighting this guy. Kojiro wants is like no come on this guy's mine and Hoshino has to be like come on you don't fight him until you actually know how strong he is uh, and look and ba basically the some of the soldiers are like look you don't have to just carry all of the burden of helping out your lord. It's okay to rely on us too. Uh, and Hoshina starts fighting with uh, the soldier uh, and uh, he also manages to cut into his, his chest because as it turns out, he's really good at sword fighting. Good to know. We get a flashback uh, from Imagawa's perspective of uh, Mino, his prized horse, uh, because, uh, it, uh, he had the, his horse had a symbol on its forehead that looked like a gemstone Mino Agate and is like, oh, and so I'll, I'll, I'll call it. Yeah, this, this is, this is the, the, that's what I'll call you. 
And he was like, oh, I've always loved horses. And I know how to spot a good one. He looked much more innocent back then and didn't wear a horse mask. Uh, he's like, you're so great. You're you're my the gemstone of my life. Rode into battle. He was so happy. Felt great riding around on his horse. And then his horse died because uh, that happens to war horses. They die in battle. It just it's just a thing that happens. Uh, and so Imagawa was, you know, completely depressed over this was just, you know, sitting in front of his horse's grave for months afterwards until he was approached by Takigawa, uh, who said, like, look, you're skilled on horseback. This is just something that happens. They'll target your mount. And uh, he's like, I wish I could be with Manoa again. And Takigawa says, well, there is one way for that to happen. Manoa was great because your skill brought it out of him. So if you improve your horsemanship further, you can do that with common horses you can expend them, wring the potential from them until they die. And each time as you kill one, you will encounter speed and power equal to Minos. So this wasn't all his idea. Uh, this was uh, put to him in order to draw his full potential. Yes. Imagawa takes out the syringe thing that he revealed in the last chapter and plunges it into his mount's head and sucks out part of its brain. The series is weird. Uh, I mean, they did but, use horses like race cars recently, so I don't know. As, as, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but because it's had part of its neocortex removed, the horse now completely loses any and all restraint. It gets even faster and more reckless. Imagal rides around, completely overtakes Tokuyuki, slashes with his naginata and i thought he initially had chopped off part of the horse when i saw this panel but it's just tokyuki flying into the air so yeah. uh not nothing quite so grim no uh, the horse is fine the horse just got bonked really hard pretty much <laughs> uh he manages to slash tokyuki and deal a flesh wound across his chest <laughs> tokyuki lands on top of his horse again and they're uh, they're having a fight astride to uh, Imagawa's mount, and he's like, I'm gonna drink your brain too, and is forcing the syringe closer to Tokyuki's skull while he's like drooling and crying right over top of him. But Fubuki is coming in from behind to try and attack Imagawa and, say, and save the day, uh, and that's where we leave off. Yeah. Um, it is. It is like a further exploration of this character that does not like... I can view it objectively as like a sad story, but I don't know if like, I don't know how to phrase it. Um, I, I guess I'll just say, I don't care per se. <laughs> well, I just mean like, like, I, I don't mean like, this is interesting. It sucks or anything like that. I just mean like for where we are in the story after the sequence we had right there, the lesson I get out of this is like, Oh, uh, their forces continue to take advantage of and abuse, you know, people with, with, you know, good intentions through conniving means, and particularly in this case, with like a twisted sort of pseudoscience. Um, and that's fine. I think I'm like, it was kind of just like we needed to find out why this dude wore a horse mask, and that was just a cool thing to do. And now we know those answers. So now Fubuki, whose character arc we're actually gonna like learn, like carry something through narratively, that's what we're gonna then discover next week. Like, it's kind of a thing where I'm like, we had to. I guess get this because otherwise you would sit there and you'd be like, why did this man wear a horse mask the whole time? Uh, and now we know that answer, 
but now mm-hmm. like the character who's actually a part of the the main story will will like have it expanded upon. Yeah, I yeah, I'm there with you. Okay. Um, Black Clover. Yes, Black Clover. Uh, this is page three forty five. Unprepared. <laughs> Uh, not to be confused with an Undead Unluck chapter, by the way. Yes, we have yet to meet Unprepared in Undead Unluck. I bet they're very, very cool. Uh, or a bad guy. Who knows? It could be either or. I don't know it's why I keep a, talking. It's just, it's, just a, it's just a lion that works with hyenas. Yeah. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Um, so we open in like a flashback to what happened... The last time we saw Asta, when he and Achika were training, and uh, I forget his name, but I want to say Ryu, uh, was just, it is. yeah, it was just like, hey, an enemy's here, Achika, let's get going, and Asta's like, oh, I'm going to go too, and I'm like, no, you're not. You, you, no, no. You're not good at training yet, you still need strength, you're just going to get your shit pushed in. If you aren't focused with fighting this guy, he's going to end you. So we cut to the fight that we haven't seen Asta in, where he's been fighting the supposed strongest member of the Ryuzen 7. And uh, the guy is activating his Zen over and over again. Yusuga, uh, Yosuka, sorry, uh, who's just like beating everybody up real tough. He's a super strong guy. Asta's like, holy shit. In a Zen exchange, I would never stand a chance against this guy. And the only reason I'm able to kind of face this guy to any extent right now is because another member of the Ryujin 7, Fujito, uh, oh no, Fujio, sorry, there was no T in there. Fujio. Fujio is uh, playing a little bard song that's healing everybody, and it's making Ass to take less damage. There was a support character off to the side, helping everybody. Mm-hmm. And now we have seen all of the members of the Ryujin 7, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's good that uh, not all of them are just like the same type of fighter. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, I've got a sword. I've got a sword. So, and uh, there's, there's some differences. My sword is a guitar. Uh, so Asta and, and him are getting into a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Yosuka uh, is just like, if you keep this up, you're never going to perfect your, your Zetan. You're so full of doubt. Swords don't lie. There's hesitation in the way you fight. Your convictions aren't solid. And unlike you, there's nothing my blade can't cut. I cut everything I see, no matter what. And he swings his sword, and like it doesn't cut through Asta. It does cut Asta a little bit, but it doesn't like sever him in half. However, that same cannot be said to like the entire terrain behind him. Like that just yeah. gets severed, like straight. There's in a half. line of there's line of like six Tory gates going up the hill behind Asta, and they all get cut in half. Yeah, and he says that's why I'm strong because I believe that. So Nick. This guy couldn't lose against uh, Grammy from Bleach. He would be too strong. He would, he would, he would be like, I'm stronger than you. And Grammy would be like, ah, oh, uh, shit. I can imagine how strong you are, but I can't imagine how your body could contain that power. <laughs> I, all I can imagine myself is a creature stronger than Yono. I exploded. <laughs> um, Asta's just like, ah, I guess I've been doubting myself because I couldn't protect Sister Lily and Master Luscious got me and I panicked a little. <laughs> And I thought maybe I couldn't get any stronger. I couldn't beat a Chica. So I guess even now I'm still reeling from all that. I'm not sure a guy like me could really be the Wizard King. And I also thought maybe he could have protected Sister Lily. Maybe he wouldn't have lost. You know, talking about, you know, he's the one who made the Grand Magic Knight first. And he's still getting stronger. If that had been, you know, then maybe. And uh, the guy's just like, as the strongest guy around, I'll take whatever you got. Be grateful and let it rip, you moron. 
and has to think something. We don't get to see what. We go back to the fight with the big five dragons, and we focus on Nervous Girl, who was kind of like the newest member, uh, who is just like, oh, this sucks. We're over. We're going to be dead. This is the last We're gonna life. We're going to die. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, and sister's just like, oh, goodness, that poor girl. At least let me give her a painful death. And uh, we see the, the little nervous girl kind of uh, draw her sword. And it's just like, shink. And, you know, like part of sister's horns get cut off. And it's revealed she is uh, Keizo Kaku, the, you know, the blood mist, the blood knight. And she's just like, ah, blood, blood, make it rain, blood seems that uh, she has a two-sided personality. <laughs> She's very nervous when her sword is sheathed. Very, very aggressive and bloodthirsty when her sword is drawn. So. Wowza. Yeah. Uh, I mean, threes and seven thus far have had pretty like straightforward, uh, easy-to-grasp characters, which if you're going to introduce, you know, seven of them, it's probably a good way to go. Yeah, in uh, the final and, arc of the series. <sighs> yeah. Sa save you know, any of the complex stuff for just the one of them for Ichika. That's a good move. Yeah. Uh, but I do quite like the stuff that we get from Asta's sparring match uh, in his training in this chapter. Uh, you know, this self-doubt is not really a thing that we see a lot from Asta, but you know, he's at his lowest moment right now. He, you know, failed to save sister Lily and then was taken away from everyone that he knows. Uh, and before he could do anything about it. And now he's helpless to make a difference. So he's got those kind of doubts that probably normally wouldn't come to mind for him, but they also feel like they're in character uh, because they're, you know, they've got that taint of like, Oh, the wizard King and, you know, and stuff. It's nice to see that whole dynamic through a very slightly different lens because Asta is finally in a very slightly different mindset. And it's like, okay, yeah, things are wrong. But he'll get back to a point where he's like, I'm going to beat you to be the Wizard King later on. Uh, it's nice to just have some disruption of that. Yes. Very much so. Let's conclude with One Piece Chapter 1068. A genius's <laughs> dream! Uh... So their CP0 is going to return the Seraphim unit, which is the Kuma Seraphim that they've got with them. Its name is S-Bear. Uh, and so Punk Vegapunk 4 tells them over transponder sales, like, you know, you can just like let it return from where you are instead of actually coming ashore. We're kind of like busy, so, so don't come here. Uh, and uh, so... Um, Oh, I'm totally blanking on his name. Damn it. I should but, know his name, Jaguar guy. Oh, Lucci. Lucci. I don't know why. I don't know why I blanked on his name. You were thinking about the beloved character from Eden Zero who he nicknamed Bob Lucci. Right. That was it. Yeah. So Lucci is, you know, quietly thinking about this, like, oh, I wonder if like he's on to us or anything. Uh, but um, Kaku is just not, not handling this very well. Uh, so, um, they uh he's you know lucci is trying to convince them like hey you know like uh i i, I if i asked you about the egghead disappearances would you know what i mean because two months ago a, a cypher pole number five shimp went missing and one month ago it was cp7 two weeks ago it was cp8 all the government ships that have visited egghead in the past two months they haven't returned why is that uh 
and uh, Vegapunk 4 tries to go. He's like, oh, but the, 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 they left. It, it's fine. But Vegapunk 2 gets on the line and she's like, hey, you saying that we've been doing something? She's getting she starts talking trash and antagonizing them. Uh, so they're trying to, like, just get CP0 to leave. So everyone at turns to Lucci and says, what do we do? And Lucci says, we're going to leave the ship behind. We'll use Seraphim S. Bear's power to fly to the island. And the moment we show any aggression, the sea beast weapons will devour the ship. So we'll just kind of sneak in. Be a little sneaky sneak. Meanwhile, the real Kuma is rampaging, trying to get away. Uh, and from the uh, uh, rebel group, uh, Dragon tries to, to reason with him, but he uses his paw paw power and teleports away. It's poofs. So, He's like, I'm gone, bitch. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, we, inside the egg heap, Luffy's group is still talking with OG Vegapunk, and uh, he says, yeah, I've been trying to get all these experiments going, and my mind is overflowing with ideas, and one day I hope to create an ideal world through science in which energy is abundant, available, and free to everyone around the globe. And Luffy picks his nose like, oh, okay. <laughs> he doesn't care about Jesus. this incredible idea. <laughs> He's like, whatever, dog. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, you, don't, Vegap- you don't care about that at all? He's like, nah. nah. You gotta talk about meat or something like that somewhere nah. in the midst here for me to really pay attention. Could you, would you build a giant robot in this world with limitless <laughs> energy? <laughs> uh, Vague Punk says, like, oh, you know, there's all this energy that's all around us all the time. If we could just convert it into a power that you could see and use, you would eliminate one of the greatest causes of war in the world. And one day science will reach that goal. And again, Louis is just like, oh, okay, <laughs> picking his nose. Just no, no grasp of any of this. But he does take the away from this is that, well, it sounds like you're trying to make everyone happy. Uh, I'm not interested in heroes, though. So uh, why do you want to leave? And Vegapunk says, well, yeah, I mean, the harder I strive to find the energy I've been seeking, the closer I get to the power source that moved this machine soldier, the ancient energy that gave it strength. And it's in a scientist's nature to want to peek at the answers. If I were to undo the veil wrapped around that forbidden history, what might I find underneath? And carrying on my friend's will, I find myself treading further into the depths of... There's a huge explosion, so that kind of snaps him out of it, uh, and... uh, Vegapunk says, yeah, uh, I've been exploring a little bit too much, and now the government's going to try and get rid of me, <laughs> like they got rid of O'Hara. So that's what's going on. That's why CP0 is here, at least according to Vegapunk. Uh, they are acting, of course, exclusively on the orders of the Celestial Dragons, and they are here. And uh, so CP0 come into the place that we have seen, you know, Luffy and all the rest of the Straw Hats interacting with, with the holograms and and clothing dispensers and everything uh and uh, also vegapunk 4 and all of everyone in nami and usopp and sanji's group uh see them on the monitors and everything like that vegapunk 1 starts issuing orders to uh try and deal with the invasion of cp0 saying okay send atlas back to the lab mobilize these other seraphims uh you know which one he's talking about nope all of them are connected to uh, one of the warlords. Okay, so Snake is Hancock. Yep. Hawk would be Mihawk. Yep. Shark. Shark. Oh, which one would be Shark? You should know this one. 
They're probably the most prominent member of the Warlords. But currently, or, or... As far as we would consider them. Like, as far as we have a connection to them. Oh, Jimbe. Yeah, there you go. Oh, right, right. We know that there's a Seraphim Jimbe. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. Okay. I I kind of, like, isolated him from that group because he's with Strahd's <laughs> now. Yeah, all... This is why I'm no good. This is why I'm no good at One Piece stuff. This is like, look, this is how I know things are right now. <laughs> History, what's that? Don't know. <laughs> no time. Now, all the warlords had, like, an animal theme until fucking Law showed up. And then you're like, I don't know anymore. Uh, I guess technically buggy, too. But, you know, clowns yeah, are kind of like an animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, Mori is a gecko. Yeah, yeah, that yep. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Vegapunk says straight up to uh, Luffy, "Is like, yeah. So, Blackbeard. can I go out to sea with?" Sorry, I got distracted. I was like, "I guess Blackbeard also wasn't really one either." Not really, not really. Uh, Vegapunk says to Luffy, "Is like, oh yeah, I, I want to go out to sea with you." Uh, and and um, Jim they points out this would be like a huge international scandal if we just did that. But Luffy says, eh, why not? <laughs> you look like you need to get out of here. <laughs> That's it. Uh, and Vegapunk says, like, look, this everything's gonna descend into a battlefield here soon. So I'd like you to take Bonnie to the lava phase above the clouds. Uh see you up there, and then he turns invisible. Uh makes sense he has that technology, of course. Uh then then CP0 uh, and their their group are being attacked by quote-unquote giant monsters, which initially freaks out Kaku because like, oh my god, it's like a space monster. But Stussy has realized quite right away that it's just a hologram. It's fine. It's nothing. Um, and kind of, and uh, Lucci kind of points out, like, eh, you seem to know a lot about this place. And Stussy says, I haven't been here in ages. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, Kaku decides to head up above the clouds, thinking, well, if Vegapunk is anywhere here, he'll be above the clouds. Uh, and Stusty points out the lines ab- uh, that are going across the, with the cloud, and she says, yeah, so if an enemy crosses those lines, it activates a laser beam as Kaku is crossing the lines He's, and uh, gets oh no. blasted. <laughs> so that worked out for him. Everyone goes, oh no, Kaku! So I guess Kaku's dead. Yeah, he's dead and uh, never coming back. So, so uh, there's something other people point out. That little like ring that we see that circles around, the number that's been on it apparently has been going up as we've been seeing it. Mm. So. so it's a percentage, possibly. Maybe. Uh, yeah, so Stussy just says to Lucci, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we can't take the world's greatest scientists lightly. Uh, and Kaku, you know, full cartoon effect. He's scorched and smoldering, but he's totally fine. It's like, oh, you've got a heart of ice, Stussy. Uh, at that moment, Vegapunk, uh, five, is it yes, five? Yes, it was five. The, the giant one. Now, what was her name, region. Nick? Uh, Atlas, because she yes. says it right yes. there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Also, I did remember that Atlas was being sent down there. So, well, no, so they, 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 they some... were sending Atlas back to the lab, I believe, to avoid this exact scenario. Ah. Yeah, she goes at she goes after uh, CP zero, and immediately Vegapunk one is like, "Oh no, no, you can't do this!" And Vegapunk five starts to wind up her punch, yeah. like taking five seconds to, to go through Ultra Mighty, 
And Lucci goes into his Beastman form, hits her with his Six King uh, pistol, and cracks her face and explodes her head. It's pretty uh, brutal, man. <laughs> like, he, he fucking dropped out his signature, like, like, his fucking Destructo disc on, like, <laughs> turn one. Like, all right, damn, man, calm down. I should have picked a better move than Destructo disc. <laughs> yeah, that the move, move that always worked. <laughs> that move that killed, I think, one of the cells or something, question mark? Nope. Nope, <laughs> all right. That. Maybe it got used in like a filler bit to affect, yeah. but I think that everyone dodged it. Uh, yeah, so Alice is knocked on her ass, fully unconscious, possibly more than that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Lucci says you're still alive, but she's not doing good. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, everyone's running around. Luffy has Bonnie with him as he is taking Vacapunk's instruction to, to get her moved. Uh, but he, they happen to pass right through uh, this area. And Luchi spots Luffy, and Luffy spots Luchi, and they recognize each other. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, kind of. It definitely seems like Luchi recognizes Luffy a little bit more. He, Luffy- calls, him, he calls him Straw Hat. Luffy calls him Pigeon Guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like he would recognize him. Yeah, he's going to recognize this. It's very cool. <coughs> um, there's a lot of, like big stuff you do kind of feel bad for atlas but at the same time you're like yeah it would make sense this doctor who like just created an entire robot body to handle all of his violent tendencies which is get it shit raffle stomp to it but the yep. first like real intimidating opponent it actually fought um so cool shit i'm excited to see luffy and luchi interact yeah it was nice to see stuff you know start to suddenly erupt and start moving again in one piece and and it feels like we're not in a complex enough setup that we're going to be in this unwinding situation for a super long time. Like, uh, it feels like we're not going to be on this island much longer. So. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Oof. Uh, well, I guess we'll name our favorite chapters and MVPs now. I know my MVP is Ayame from uh, Blue Box. I still need to think about my favorite uh, chapter of the week though yeah i am going to uh say yes ayame is my favorite character of the week as well uh i really liked the evolution that she experienced in this uh and just you know like the very human kind of relation that she had to hina uh and what it got her to learn about herself i'm going to say that my favorite chapter this week was pppppp uh Ooh. there were a lot of good chapters this week honestly uh, but for the same reasons, I really liked Blue Box. I really like PPPPPP because of, you know, what it indicates for, you know, the evolution of one of its characters and, and what they're going to do going forward. But there was a lot of good stuff. Uh, Mashal was good just to see Mash show up again. Black Clover was good. One Piece was good. Chainsaw Man was great. Uh, there was a lot of great stuff going on. And Undead and Luck was also really good. Yeah, torn between Undead and Luck and Chainsaw Man. And I think... I guess I'll <sighs> Undead Unlock really doesn't need more awards, but I guess I'm gonna <laughs> give it to it anyway. <laughs> uh just to really cement that it's 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 a great series. Um but yeah, there were a lot of really, really great chapters this week. Uh the audience uh agreed with me on Dead Unlock and Naomi uh as the car- uh, series and then character of the week. Uh but you agreed with Ninja, which is probably more important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Speaking of Ninja, by the way, Ninja X3 maintains the Google Doc. They keep track of all sorts of helpful statistics associated with the show. And you can find that via Weekly Marguerite Caps Discord server, which is also a great place to just join in if you want to chat about uh, the chapters as they come out, the series that we're taking as a recommendation before we have our big discussion about it. We're currently working our way through Blue Lock, and it has taken us a little while. It'll probably be another week and a half before we get to that. And uh, also, uh, you can use the Discord server to know when the show is going live. We send out a notification when we start streaming live here on twitch.tv slash ReloadT, which normally we do Wednesdays, 7.30-ish Eastern time uh, in the evening. We had to change things up this time. And so if you want to know what's going on and be up to date on why this stuff is happening, follow us through the Discord server, follow us on social media. Rolo T, Nick F. Time, WMR Podcast are the accounts to follow, and we'll also put out a blast when uh, we go live on the WMR Podcast account. Uh, we also would like to thank everyone who supports us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash recap, where we create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And uh, we'd like to thank Steve Mann, our tile artist, whose uh, work you can sometimes see on YouTube uploads of the show, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap. Uh, and his artwork is available to view wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet, uh, which may not be Twitter for much longer. Who knows what's going on with all that whole thing? Uh, and uh, you could, we'd also like to thank Milo Jack Stillitz and Winsdale Cheddar who created the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap that you can also see in the video versions on YouTube. Yes. That is going to be the show, guys. Yeah. We should be we should be back next Wednesday, assuming that uh, no sickness complications or uh, otherwise uh, come, come by our way. Uh, and uh, we'll have more <laughs> manga to talk about then. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I hope everybody enjoys that we're about to morb uh, or get morgues because I decided to make a big deal about that. And I really hurt my throat doing that. So I hope everybody appreciates yeah. that. If you, you appreciate Quinn's sacrifice you can, for this dumb joke. If you like graphed my energy for the podcast, it oh. peaked. And then it plummeted after. Like, my mic stand exploded halfway through this podcast, and I was more energetic while that was happening than after I did that. <laughs> yeah, quite appropriate, given that the morgues are cryptocurrency. I'm so excited so, about morgues. I can't wait. I, it, they didn't even come up in the chapter that we talked about. Nick, today. we're going we're gonna to get to find out what the gray stars mean. Oh, <laughs> uh, won't that be fun? <laughs> Guys, thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> for, for joining Bury me with one. my mort. <laughs>